Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 217, Bisbing versus GSB, Garbrandt versus Dillashaw, Nama Yunus versus Joanna Champion, and Vic versus Duffy and Shaq. The biggest fight of the year, the biggest card of the year, is finally here this Saturday. The UFC returns to MSG. Yeah, it's a great card, top to bottom. I mean, we got guys like Sahabi and Hamos opening up the card. You know, we got uh, we got Jan Kudalaba on the card, like you said, Vic and Duffy, Hendricks, George Masvidal. So it's a it's a top notch card. How can one forget about Jorge Masvidal? And yeah. man, there, there's a couple opportunities on this card that we're really excited about. And let's not even let's not even bullshit, man. Let's get right down to business because look, we got Randy Brown. He's minus one ten, and Mickey Gall is also minus 110. Now, I'm blown away by by this price. I think it's a joke, but I'm going to let you talk about it first, man. First off, you know, <clears throat> you know, uh, how dare the lines makers disrespect Randy Brown like this? Now, it's one thing, you know, he fought Mickey Gall. I'm sure he's a tough guy. I'm not saying he's a bitch, a or pussy. Mickey Gall? Um, no, I'm just saying and just speaking about Mickey Gall, I'm saying I'm not, I don't think he's weak or a pussy, a bitch. I don't think he's none of those things. But we're talking about a guy who fought a reporter, who fought an actor, and then he fought Sage Northcutt, who, if we're being quite honest, is a grade A jobber. The guy, you know, can't get up from bottom against Cody Fisher. The ref just helped him out and he got the finish. You know, he beat Trevino, who's a jobber, not in the UFC. Then, you know, he goes in there against Barbarina, gets tapped with a submission that doesn't even exist. Then he goes in there against uh, Mickey Gall and just straight quit, quits the second his uh, back hits the mat. And, I mean, you know Sage doesn't take punch as well. He, he panics in grappling situations. And, uh, you know, Mickey Gall is getting a Randy Brown, who people have their perception that Randy Brown is a a low-level UFC fighter, and I don't understand. I mean, the guy came comes in here in his debut, beats up Matt Dwyer, who was just in there with Albert Tumenov and, uh, and Alan Juban, who went three hard rounds with Alan Juban. And then we go three three hard rounds with him in the UFC, in the octagon, three hard rounds. And you know him. what? And beat him. Do you know what that experience is like? Okay. So then we go, like, then we go uh, after that, we face... Graves. Michael Graves. Just coming off a win against Vicente Luque. I know you guys are seeing what Vicente Luque is doing right now. He just pieced up Nico Price and Sublin the other weekend. And, uh, you know, Randy Brown's been in there. He's seen, I know Graves ain't the same guy anymore, but Graves at one point was one of the top prospects at 170. And uh, Randy Brown was in, in the cage with him in the height of his career. You know what I'm saying? Granted, things didn't go his way, but Graves brings such a different presence at the time, man. Graves was a, a strong wrestler, and he would smother guys like he did to Vicente. And then, you know, he goes in there against, uh, who did he fight after that? Uh, Eric, Eric Montano. Montano, the ultimate fighter, Latino America winner. You know what I'm saying? Mickey, what's Mickey Gall ever done that's on that level? The guys fought, you know, uh, a local scene fight, won that fight. I I'm not saying that Mickey Gall is not a real fighter, but I'm saying then he fights two fake fighters, and then he fights uh, Sage Norcutt, who I already, you know, express my opinion on early. I fade Sage Northcutt every fight. I faded him against Barbarina. If I would have, uh, I would have probably bet him against Mickey Gall, but hey, you learn your, you learn your craft. But then I'm saying now Brandy Brown's in there with a, uh, he, he, people say he was down two rounds against Montano. First of all, like I said, Montano won the fucking uh, ultimate fighter. And really, was he really down two rounds? 
And also, let's say he was down two rounds. He showed the he showed the will to win and choked him out in the third and made it decisive. Being down two rounds in a fight is an experience Mickey Gall has never had. And when you motherfuckers say he was down two rounds, you guys said Ortega was down two rounds against Clay Guida. He wasn't no down two rounds. I don't think Randy Brown was really down two rounds. It was close, but I, to say he was convincingly down two rounds is a big statement. He came back and won. And he came back and won anyway. So then, you know, he gets the... Uh, uh, Brian Camozzi fights, you know, completely smashes him, who Brian Camozzi was on like a six or seven fight win streak at the time. And uh, he straight up, uh, the second he hit him with the right hand, Camozzi wobbled and uh, looked for his way out the door. And then, you know, he got the, his big fight against Bilal Muhammad. He was actually the favorite in that fight. And it's not like he dropped the ball. Bilal Muhammad's just a better fighter than him. Bilal Muhammad's about to fight Tim Means in a couple of weeks. Bilal Muhammad's been in there with Alan Juban. He's been in there with Vicente Luque. He's been in there with Steve. You can even say Steve Carl, who's a, a former uh, world champion. Mickey Gall is taking a huge step up in competition. I'm talking, I'm talking so huge, bro. And a lot of people saying, "Well, Randy, he can't stop a double leg." What are you talking about? He can't stop a double leg. Go back and watch the Montano fight. It's not like he got taken down. I will agree that maybe his fight IQ was a little la lacking at times. He he was going for subs that which he shouldn't have. But to say he can't stuff a takedown is just ludicrous. I mean, the guy stuffed all of Bilal Muhammad's attempts for nine minutes, and then Bilal eventually, you know, took him down, just like how he did against Jordan Mean, who's on a way different level fighter of Mickey Gall. Like I said, this guy has never seen anything like this. This ain't fucking Sage Northcutt. How is he going to respond when he gets front kicked in the face? How is he going to respond when he gets jabbed? He's going to end up shooting desperate takedowns. And when I say this is going to be a one-sided beating on the feet, we are going to wipe him out completely on the feet. Mickey Gall is going to be pulling guard. He's going to be flopping to his back. He's going to be desperately looking for takedowns that he's not going to get because one he's a lightweight as well and two he's just not on this level this is a whole different level if you guys really watch this tape you guys will see that you're getting a steal at minus 110 take out the fact that you think randy brown was down two rounds against montano no he wasn't look i got 8.8 8.75 units on the line on this fight I took the minus 170. I max betted at minus 170. That's how confident I was. Five units at, to win 2.94 at minus 170. And then when the uh, line got down to minus 125, I put 3.75 to win three more on it, man. I, and I might even put more. Like, you guys are really disrespecting Randy Brown here. I think this is going to be an easy contest for him on the feet. On the mat... I don't even think it's going to... I don't think Mickey can take us down consistently. I really don't. It's one thing when you're taking Sage Northcutt down who... All of his opponents have... Enrique, Cody Fister took Cody Fister took this fucking guy down. You know what I'm the saying? The only reason he won the Cody Fister fight is because the ref saved him. Exactly. The ref gave him a stand-up. It's not like Sage Northcutt got up on his own. The ref got him up. And look, Sage Northcutt is, like I said, a grade-A driver. The kid's not a fighter. He's a he. The best thing about him is his physique. His chin sucks. His wrestling sucks. And he panics. Just like uh, we saw his sister do the other day in, uh, in LFA or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So you're getting a steal at minus 110. Man, I got the biggest bet of my life on this. Randy Brown is going to get the job done. It's going to be a complete wipeout on the feet, and uh, it's going to be easy money. Listen, man, I know when we talk like this and a fight's a fight, I've been wrong before, but I don't plan on being wrong here. And, you know, it's one of these situations where, you know, people are saying stuff like, well, you know, both guys have been in there with, with trash cans, and it's like, well, hold on a second here. Okay, I, I agree that, yeah, Mick, uh, that uh, Randy Brown, yeah, Montano and Brian Camozzi, yes, they are trash cans. But if you're calling Mike Jackson and CM Punk and Sage Northcutt trash cans, that's a fucking compliment, okay? Those guys are 
what's the step below a trash can? Because, I mean, these dudes aren't even fighters, man. I mean, listen, the, the fight goes with, with Mike Jackson. And, you know, Mike Jackson has an earpiece on. You know, he's supposed to go down to the first punch so that they can set up the CM Punk fight. I get it. He goes down to the first punch. He doesn't even fight the hands. He gets choked out right away. It was a fucking disgrace. The next fight, he takes on CM Punk, who, I mean, Jesus fucking Christ, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that dude ain't even... The dude made a living being a fake fighter. Now, now he wants to step in and do the real shit. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like... And let's talk about that fight for a second. You'd think that if Mickey Gall was actually, you know, this this real fighter and shit, that, you know, he would absolutely destroy CM Punk. Now, I know it was a first-round stoppage, but what was up with CM Punk escaping all those rear-naked choke attempts? Like, real UFC fighters, like... Do you know what Randy Brown would do to CM Punk? Randy Brown would have fucking slipped and ripped. And he would have boxed his face up. He would have broke his nose. He would have front kicked him. It would have been a complete wipeout. It would have been an embarrassment. CM Punk, CM Punk can never step in the cage again if Randy Brown, Brown would have fought him. But he is going to step in the cage after Mickey Gall beat him because, like I said, Mickey Gall, he he was scared of the moment, to be honest. If you really think about it, he should have came out here and uh, slipped and ripped him, man. He should have should have came out here and put him away with the first punch, but guess what, he, he took the safe route and, you know, took him down, but it is what it is, but like I'm saying, Randy Brown has seen so much more in the cage than this guy, Randy Brown's a ring of combat champion, one of the toughest promotions on the local scene, and he was the champion there, and then he comes in the UFC, went three rounds in his debut in a pressure cooker, Come the first guy off the looking for a fight show, then he's in there with Bilal Muhammad, Michael Graves, Kamozi won, I'm pretty sure Kamozi won the LFA title, you know what I'm saying? Like, these guys have accomplished things. These guys started up from ground ground zero and build their ways up in the pro ranks. While Mickey Gall, to be honest, it was handed to him. I'm not saying the kid's trash. I mean, he, I'm, I, he's got a little bit of jujitsu, but this is a, when there's punches being involved and you're not fighting Sage Northcutt and you're not fighting CM Punk, it's just a difference, man. And you're going to see, man. And, you know, it's so funny. People are talking about this kid's great ground game. You know, what the fuck's up with your standards? Because when we talk about great ground games, we talk about Antonio Carlos Jr. We talk about Damian Maia. We don't fucking talk about Mickey Gall. So I'm very embarrassed when I see the MMA community talking about this kid's great ground game. What fucking great <laughs> ground game, man? Like, Jesus Christ. Like, uh, man, it, when I really think about this, man, I really feel like putting my whole account on it. But, uh, you know, it's going to open up. FS1, the prelims, opening fight. It's going to be a one-sided bludgeoning. And uh, I respect Mickey Gall. I'm sure he's a tough kid. I'm sure he's a nice guy. But he, he I think he's a little bit delusional. You know, he's saying he wants to fight Kevin Lee in a NHB type of fight. And it's like, bro, you are about to get bludgeoned by Randy Brown from the opening belt. And, I, and it's like people trying to back the guy up. How are you going to back the guy up when the guy... The guy's been in there with one real fighter, also, uh. and and that's pushing it. I'm and I'm being and I'm being generous when I say that, and it's like, how how do you know how he's gonna react in deep waters? I know how Randy Brown reacts in deep waters. I've seen Randy Brown come back from adversity and win a fight before. How how how, how do you know how he's gonna react? How's he gonna react when he gets that that hard crisp jab on the nose? How's he gonna react when he eats that high kick or that front kick to the face? Like, come on, guys. Listen, if anyone's going to get a submission here, it's going to be Randy Brown. Randy Brown could choke out Mickey Gall easily. I think the, the best path to victory is to knock him out. But don't be surprised if Randy don't Brown Don't be chokes surprised him out. if we choke him out in the first round. Now, let's talk about Mickey's jiu-jitsu because I know, you know, someone's going to be like, oh, but he, you know, he grappled Gordon Ryan and he didn't get tapped out. Well, let's talk about that for a second here. Firstly, that's not the Gordon Ryan we see today who's dominating the jiu-jitsu scene as a black belt. This motherfucker that Mickey Gall grappled against was a 19-year-old purple belt, Gordon Ryan. And Gordon Ryan still mopped the floor with him. But that was a purple belt, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, because it's funny. It's like when Chris Wyman, you know, didn't 
didn't get tapped out by Andre Galvo in that in that grappling match, but he still fucking lost. You know what I mean? This is different, man. I mean, this is a purple belt Gordon Ryan. He smoked. Uh, he, he mopped the floor with Mickey Gall. But I know people are gonna be like, oh, but he he didn't get tapped out. He must be legit. Like he ain't legit at all, man. This is a fist fight. You can't punch in a fucking Naga tournament. And look. Basically, I'd be very surprised if Mickey got a single takedown, but even if he did, the fight's not over there. I mean, look, when Randy Brown gets taken down by legit guys, and I, when I say legit guys, I'm talking about Bilal Muhammad. Like like Shaq already said, Bilal Muhammad's about to go fight Tim Means. You know what I'm saying? We're talking about real fighters now. We're talking about real shit. We're talking about true fucking fighting here. We're not talking about in there with Sage Northcutt. If this guy's most credible win is Sage Northcutt, and I'm getting Randy Brown at minus 125, minus 170, minus 110, minus 110. even if it was minus 300, it'll be a max bet open parlay season and it's gonna be easy money listen the opener minus 170 i was cool with that i was like oh okay <laughs> i was like okay you know it should be minus 370 <laughs> but since it's minus 170 let's just go ahead and, and play that big and then it goes down to minus 155 i was like hey even better now when i see at minus 110 it just the the delusion it's <laughs> unbelievable man like i'm not saying the kid is not tough it's just saying you have no factual basis to say that this kid can compete on this level with his resume. First of all, he's a lightweight. Can we can we talk about that? The guy's a lightweight. <laughs> he's simply he's, too small. He's fighting a 6'3", 170 pound. I know he's 6'2", but we're talking six about three. a guy that knows how to use his length. A guy that knows how to keep range and slip punches. We watched the Bilal Muhammad fight. Him and Bilal were having some serious exchanges in there. And, and if you go back and look at Bilal's face, Bilal Muhammad now, the Titan champion, a guy that's been in there with Juban. A guy, a guy who's fighting Tim Means. A guy who's about to fight Tim Means in a few weeks. Look what Brandy Brown did to his face. That fight was no easy fight for Bilal. It wasn't no wipeout like how you people that you know don't watch tape make it seem. You know what I'm saying? That fight was very close for about 10 minutes. I understand Bilal you know, won the third round, but for the first two rounds, that fight was close. Yeah, look, Bilal didn't get a single takedown for nine minutes of that fight. And yes, he attempted many, and they were all stuffed fine. You know what I'm you know, saying? You know, if Mickey Gall comes out here and low kicks him like Bilal did, then I'll shut my mouth, I'll lose my money, and you know, it is what it is. But I don't think that's going to happen, man. I think it's going to end up being a one-sided whooping. And, you know... uh it kind of it just reminds me of that Alex White, you know, Mitch Clark. We said we said the second Alex White lands a good punch, Mitch Clark will look for the door. And I and I see I see this fight coming out. I see Randy coming out, piecing him up with that jab, landing big shots, shots that Mickey Gall has never experienced before in his life. Not Sage Northcutt shots. Don't forget Sage Northcutt got rocked by Enrique Marine. You know what I'm saying? I, I bet that at plus four forty. Sage still dropped Mickey Gall. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And uh, and you know. It's gonna. He's gonna end up shooting desperate, desperate attempts. He's gonna end up, you know, pulling guard and trying to, trying to go to his back to survive. And it's gonna be a one-sided ass whooping. And you know, I respect Mickey Gall. Maybe it doesn't sound like that. I don't think the kids like how I, how I view Sage Northcutt. I view the kid a little above that. I view Sage Northcutt as not a fighter at all. But Mickey Gall, I feel like he's a little tougher. I don't think he's gonna take a knee or anything. But I just think that he will be outclassed, outmatched physically, and he will break slowly. Let's talk about the worst possible case scenario. Like, let's say somehow Mickey gets him down with that shitty-ass takedown that he has, which isn't going to happen. We're not going to get taken down. But let's say we do get taken down. It's not like the fight's over there, man. I mean, when Bilal took us down, you know, we're, we're fighting the hands. You know what I'm saying? We were attempting triangles. We swept him and got him to on top at the end of the third round. Also, Bilal took our back, and once again, we were fighting the hands. We reversed the position and got on top. So it's one of those things where it's like, we're we're a real fighter here, man. And Bilal did the shit right. It's not like he took his back and then immediately started attacking the choke. Bilal tried to soften him up first, which which is what a veteran does. You know, if Mickey takes your back, he's not gonna try to soften you up. He's, he's gonna going right he's going choke. right for the choke because he's inexperienced, man. 
And uh, like I said, if anyone's getting a submission here, it's Randy Brown. You know, like so. Yeah, uh, I think this is easy money. I, I uh, max bet Randy Brown with with someone later on the card. I don't often do parlays, but when I do, it's situations like this and. I'm even considering put, putting more on Randy Brown because this is a mismatch, and now that the public's completely disrespecting Randy, uh, you know, you don't you only get opportunities like this, you know, every every once in a blue moon, you know, Alex White, Mitch Clark. This is that situation again, and I fully plan on capitalizing. Well, man, I think we made our point. And next up, we got Ovince Saint Pru OSB. He's minus one sixty. The comeback on Corey. Beaston 25A Anderson is plus 140. Now, Shaq, I mean, I basically view, view this as a situation where in the first round, OSB is way too dangerous for Corey Anderson. I mean, you remember that Patrick Cummins fight. You know, he took down OSB a couple times, but OSB was able to get back to his feet, and eventually he caught him coming in, landed the big, I don't want to call it an uppercut. It was more like a shovel punch, but he landed that. He knocked him out cold. We know Corey Anderson is a super chinny wrestler, similar to Patrick Cummins. Now, where Corey Anderson has success is, if he can get past that first round, he's able to grind dudes out. You know, he's kind of like a poor man's Edgar on the feet. You know, he thinks because he trains with Mark Henry that all of a sudden he's uh, he's the new Edgar, which you and I both know isn't the case. But if Vince does start to gas a little bit, which he has in the past, Corey could take advantage. That being said, the chin of Corey is truly, <laughs> I mean, let's not talk about his knockout losses. Let's talk about, you know, didn't that Tom Lawler have this dude doing the chicken dance all over the place? Tom Lawler's not known for his knockout power. I, I, you put Volante away, but who doesn't put Volante away? You know what I mean? So it, it's just one of those situations where the first round is going to be super dangerous for Corey Anderson. After that, it comes down to if Corey can uh, take him to deep waters and drown him. Listen, man, OSP just had a full camp for his last fight, and uh, you know his opponent made it easy for him. Yushin uh, shot for a takedown and pulled guard. Hey, thank you very much for cashing that under for me, Yushin. I really appreciate it. I'm not sure there's going to be another Von Flu, Von Prue choke, but I'm going to say uh, Ovens by first round knockout. Yeah, man. This is, like, this is a fight I like to stay away from, just like from what you said earlier. You know, even though OSP had a nice win, look who was it against. And we know OSP's history. Um, if you can avoid his left hand and make him work, make him get ugly and grimy, he tends to fold, man. It's, it's plain and simple. And, you know, Corey, he's a guy I like to fade. I faded him against Shogun back at 198 plus 200 because of that chin, bro. And especially early. And, you know, he'd win the rounds against Shogun, but it will be like the last 10 seconds of the round he'd get dropped and we'd take we'd steal those rounds from him. And uh, that might happen here, bro. It's one of those fights I'm not – I'm just going to sit and enjoy. Um, if anyone played that – uh, price on Corey, I definitely understand you want to get this into the second and third rounds and you want to grind OSP, hug his legs, kill the clock, tie him up. And it might work out, bro, because I feel like OSP needs to get a uh, needs to get a uh, early stoppage here. But uh, uh, as far as a pick, man, I'm going to go with Corey in this one, man. I, I think he'll pull off like a split decision, ugly, uh, ugly lackluster fight. Joseph Duffy, he's minus 195 and the comeback on the Texecutioner, James Vick is plus 168. Now, Shaq, I know a lot of people were thinking that Duffy is going to knock out Vic, but I was actually very surprised to see uh, Duffy as an almost 2-1 to favorite in this spot, man. Uh, I really wasn't that surprised. I mean, the guy, you know, Dustin was plus 200 against this guy, and the guy guy has a a lot of hype. You know, that Dustin Poirier bet, which we did cash, uh, main event of Fight Pass, um, 30-26 bludgeoning, but... um, James Vick, he's seven and one in the UFC. I mean, James Vick, this guy's a gamer. You know, you know, people. I, I've been hearing a lot of talk. You know, people saying that eventually Vick will raise his chin and you know Duffy will catch him. Which look, I like Vick. I think he's a cool guy. 
obviously when I put my money into this thing, I don't bet who I like more. I'm not that type of guy. Look, if uh, Randy Brown wasn't on this card, I'd be betting James Vick because you always bet James Vick at a uh, plus 170, no matter what. I mean, I understand that, you know, generally when I fade Joseph Duffy, I want a guy that's going to go in there and make it ugly, tie him up, take him down, you know, land elbows on top so we can make him bleed. Because I honestly believe that even though Joseph Duffy is a great striker and whatnot, I feel like he doesn't, I feel like he's lacking in the, in the heart department and I know that's maybe a, a tough choice of words, but that's, just, that's maybe that's just my my assessment on the guy. It might not be right. He might come out here and have a war with Vic and win, but that's just my assessment of the guy. I feel like I feel like deep down, if you push him, that he will break. And and you know when I have that in my mind, it's generally versus wrestler like uh, OAM or stuff. OAM his teammate, but like if OAM fought him, you know I'd fade him or like one hundred percent, or if like. Uh, you know, guys, guys that I know that would Gregor, you know, Gregor Gillespie, you know what I'm saying? Guys that I know would take him down and hug his legs and make him tired because I know that this guy likes to roll for leg locks. He likes to go for triangles. He don't have no wrestling, bro. He don't like, in the, he don't like being in those tie-up exchanges. And, you know, I know that Vic, even though he's, you know, a great boxer, I feel like he's cleaned up a lot of his defense. Like, back in his day, man, his defense was just boy but man he used to get away with it and you know finally he didn't get away with it against Benil and I feel like he's learned his lesson ever since man I feel like against Trujillo and uh Polo Reyes he kept his chin down he wasn't getting back in the day man he used to throw an overhand right at Vic it would land like no matter what and that's how much this guy's cleaned up his defense I, I understand you know still it still might not be where he needs to be to compete against the, you know, the top 10 guys. But I feel like progressively it's just going to keep getting better. And I feel like if James Vick goes out here and makes us an ugly fight and doesn't get knocked out in the first three, four minutes, I feel like he's going to take this. I feel like he needs to at some point, you know, try to get this on the mat and tie him up, make it look ugly, land knees in the clinch just to slow down Duffy. But I think he will find a way to get this done. But uh, I'm not betting on it because there's really not a need for me to, you know. If Randy Brown wins, then we can make talks. But uh, just going in there really wasn't a need for me to do it. But uh, maybe uh, maybe I will. But um, the pick is James Vick. So, man, this is a very good matchup. I'm very excited about this. You know, everyone that listens to the show knows that – you know, I bet on Vic every single fight. I mean, look, seven and one together, and everyone's like, uh, you know, you you only bet on him because he's your friend. And it's like, well, he's only my friend because I bet on him every single fight. You know what I'm saying? Like, before I even knew him, like, personally, I was betting on him every fight because this guy's a gamer. Like you said, I like betting on dudes that, look, you know, the deal with Sage Northcutt is, obviously, his skills really suck, but, but he's got no heart, okay? He could maybe get away with the fact that, you know, he's kind of, you know, that Sage is kind of chinny and this and that. If he had heart, but he has no heart, so he can't get away with anything. With Vic, the one thing we noticed right off the bat is that the dude is a gamer. You know, he was on the Ultimate Fighter when he was only 4-0. and That's Mickey Gall's record. The only difference is that, you know, James wasn't fighting fucking CM Punk and Mike Jackson. He actually fought, you know, real fighters on the regional scene. And then he went to the Ultimate Fighter as a 4-0 and guy. So, if you think about it, he entered the UFC 4-0 and he grew up in the UFC, man. He didn't get to, you know, pay his dues on the regional scene. He fucking got shot up right into the Ultimate Fighter as 4-0. Now he's in the UFC, and he's made the most of it. He's 7-1 in the big show. Now, let's talk about the Benny fight real quick, because I know everyone's talking about that's going to happen here. Well, firstly, Benny's a southpaw. Joe Duffy's orthodox. Benny is a, a King's MMA striker. Joe Duffy's a boxer. They got two completely different styles. 
the way that Benny was able to catch him was off a head kick counter. Now, that was one of the advantages of being Southpaw versus Orthodox in that matchup is the fact that at King's MMA, firstly, you know the deal with the kick counters there. That's why when uh, when Benny fought Rashid, anytime Rashid would throw something like a kick, right away Benny was countering. Even in the Barboza fight until he got caught, there's a reason that the leg kicks from Barboza, his most effective weapon, weren't as effective in that fight because Benny is just that fucking good, man. And look, Benny was able to go out there and hand Vic his first L, but ever since then, you see what he's been doing? I mean, he went to Thailand. He's been working on his distance. He's been working on his defense. Now let's see how it's going to... Let's see what's going to happen in this fight. It's going to be interesting because with Joe Duffy, he's a guy that he had his run in Cage Warriors, and he fought Ivan Mursada, and he got choked out with a guillotine, and then he quit the sport for three years. Now, in those three years, he became a, pro a professional boxer, and he came back a lot better. Now, if you watch his fights before he quit the sport compared to after he quit the sport, I mean, the dude, the way he improved his hands, he came out like a completely different guy, like the frequency that he's operating on these days. So I was like, yeah, you know, maybe it was a good thing that he left the sport, even though you and I both know, like, what, just because he got choked out, he went over to do an easier sport. You know what I'm saying? And I don't even want to sit here and call it easier, but a more limited form of fighting. Let's put it like that, Shaq. You know what I'm saying? And then he comes back. I mean, we, we don't even got to talk about that time he tried out for tough and lost to Kyle Watson, who, you know what I'm saying? At least the dudes Vic lost to are both top 10 guys, but... Kyle Watson, Ivan Mursada, like, come on, man. So, you know, Duffy gets this fight with Poirier, and we bet Poirier at plus 205, and that was, you know, people try to act like it was this back-and-forth war. Okay, the first minute of the fight, Duffy landed first, some good shots. First three minutes, it was close, but after those first three minutes, it was a one-sided budget. I mean, Poirier beat the absolute shit out of him, and people try to act like, oh, Poirier was diving on legs. Okay, first he broke him down on the feet. <laughs> And then he took him down, and he didn't just lay on him on the ground either. You remember that elbow he landed, man? That wasn't uh, that wasn't humping someone's leg, bro. Look, first, okay, look, the first few exchanges, yeah, Duffy was getting off for, like we said, about two, two and a half minutes. And then anytime they got in close, Dustin would land big uppercuts. Duffy was wobbled, and he'd back up, and then Dustin would put it on him. Then we took him down. We beat him on the feet first. Then we took him down, and then we beat his ass on top. So, I mean, to say that fight was a back-and-forth war, I mean, what the, kind the of scorecards <laughs> indicated that it was 30-26. So, I mean. What kind of 30-26 <laughs> is a back-and-forth war? You know what I mean, dude? Like, come on. Just because he landed a couple shots in a fist fight in the first two minutes, that makes it a a back-and-forth war. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, his, yeah his hands look good for two minutes, and that's what I was saying earlier. I, I speculate that if you can, like Dustin pushed him, every other fight he's never been pushed in, you know what I'm saying? When Ivan Ivan Mercado pushed him, you know what I'm saying? Ivan Mercado got you know outstruck for about three rounds, and then he uh, got choking out. But then, um, like that's just my speculation. You know, I could be wrong. Maybe Joe Duffy learned his lesson against Poye, and maybe he comes out here and he puts Vic away. But, you know, I, I don't think so. But, um, that's just my speculation on him, man. I feel like if you make it ugly against this guy and make him bleed, make him really question himself, I feel like he might want to go back to his other sport, man. I don't know. But, uh, listen, man, I agree. He does have great hands. No doubt about it. But, you know, people are, but people are trying to act like he's this knockout artist. Okay. Let's talk about who he's knocked out real quick. He knocked out Jake Lindsay and Mitch Clark. I mean, bro, it doesn't get any worse. Mickey Gall could probably beat those guys. You know what I'm saying? And even then I'd have a pause, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, knocking out Jake Lindsay and, uh, and Mitch Clark and, you know, go and beating Reza Madadi by decision that, and in a decision where Reza Madadi took him down. Let me just add that real quick. That doesn't really make me convinced that he's going to come out here and put Vic away like everyone else is saying, man. Look, I, the only reason why 
this wasn't like first beta, you know, for me just because Randy. Randy and the fact that I understand that Vic is literally going to go in here and try to outbox Duffy. You know what I'm saying? I know Vic ain't going to come in here shooting takedowns and, you know, trying to time up. I understand the firefight that I'm getting myself into if I bet this. But, uh, you know, I, I still think it's... I. It's a great line, honestly. I mean, like, plus 168 for a 7-1 and guy who's fought way tougher guys. I mean, we can even say Polo Reyes and Trujillo are way better Nick than Hine. fucking Nick Hine. Nick Hine wins fights. Um, Nick Hine's only lost one fight in the UFC. 6-1 uh, the UFC. Who else? Uh, Abel only lost to Tony and Khabib. Valmer Lazaro, you know? I mean, he's just been in there with way... Guys that operate on a different frequency while Duffy's been handed these easy fights beside the Dustin fight, and we saw what happened. So I've seen uh, Vic come back from adversity. I've seen him in complete drag-out wars, and I've seen Duffy and his wins and one-sided ass weapons that, you know, are hard to tell where he's really at. I, I really, like I said, I really feel like if you push him, that he'll break. Look, if Duffy goes out there and puts Vic away, much respect. Props. You did it, bro. But I think the left high kick is going to be a big weapon. I think the right body kick is going to be huge. I think the flying knee. I think eventually, not necessarily that Joe has shitty cardio. I don't think he has shitty cardio at all. But what I do think is that you push the guy, then he starts to do you know some desperation shit. I think Van, you know, he might shoot in for a takedown against Vic because, you know, they saw his fight with Glaco Franza. They think, oh, you know, I'm a tri-star guy. I can take this guy down if it doesn't work on the feet. Because, look. Faraza Hobbies is corner man, you know, and they might be thinking, what's the path to least resistance here? You know, you're both boxers. Why don't you try to take this guy down? So if he tries to take Vic down, watch out because uh, he's going to get choked out with a guillotine. And we already know from past experience uh, when Joe Duffy fought Kyle Watson and Ivan Mercado, he ain't fighting the hands, man. I'll tell you that right now. He's going to tap very, very quick. So, you know, I know I hear people talking about how, you know, Vic should come out here and try to take him down and this and that. It's like, look, that's not who James Vic is. He's not that kind of guy. That being said, don't be surprised if he puts him in that Muay Thai clinch, starts throwing big knees to the body, and then maybe from the clinch, get an upper body takedown, kind of like he did to Abel Trujillo, his first and only takedown in, in the UFC. I believe he's gotten 100% takedown rate because he's one for one. You know what I'm fucking saying? But... They're going to have a striking match. It's going to be a war. There's going to be some holy shit moments. But look, I was thinking it was going to be minus 120 apiece on the opener. I was thinking I wasn't even going to bet Vic on this card because it was going to be, you know, minus 120, minus 140. So when I saw the plus 180, it's just a no-brainer because long-term, this guy wins fights in the UFC. He's not a quitter. He's not a bitch. He's not a pussy. The only way to beat Vic is to put him out cold. And if Joe Duffy has the answer to do that, then much respect, Irish Joe. Much respect, Canadian Joe. But in my personal opinion, that's not going to happen. I've been wrong before. I'm 7-1 on Vic fights. The one time I was wrong, that is what ended up happening. So I'm hoping to make it 8-1 this weekend and cash this plus 180. So let's go, Vic. Now here we go. It's time for the pay-per-view main card because we got Paulo Boracina. He's minus 230. The comeback on the former welterweight champion, Johnny Big Rig Hendricks, is plus 190. And it's just unbelievable what the fight game has done, how the times have changed, and how you know a couple of years back, I mean, we didn't even know who Paulo was, and, you know, Hendricks would have been a minus 500 against him, and now, you know, a couple ass whoopings later, a couple missed weight cuts, and uh, you see, uh, you're looking at Hendricks as an almost two-to-one dog here. A couple missed weight cuts. <laughs> <laughs> the guy misses weight every fight, but, um, man, you know, I've always been a guy that says, you know, these undefeated guys, you know, watch out. His first L is coming very soon, and, you know, I, I do think that about Apollo Borchino. I feel like he will lose a fight very soon, but not this one, man. I just feel like 
I've been letting these old faded vets off the hook and not fading these guys that are completely done, like Anthony Hamilton against Spitz. I mean, I completely passed on that. And there's there's more cases, man. Um, and if we really go by car by car, there's I'm sure there's one every case where a guy we just Robinson know, and Machida, even though there was an undefeated fighter, yeah, exactly. There was like, a dude uh, on his way out. You know, Jim Miller. Like we probably should have seen, like man, he he's had enough. You know, the Poye and the Pettis fights back to back were just too much, and. Uh, there's just guys that we just know just don't have anything left. And look, and uh, we know we're seeing this thing with these guys that are missing weight bad, you know, the the way their bodies are looking. You know, Nick Nick Lance, for example, you know, he's he, at 145. The guy used to step into the cage at 175 pounds. He used to gain 30 pounds in between nights. And now you look at his body. He's not the same guy. You know, look at Hendricks. When he was fighting at 170, you remember his uh, – his fight against uh, Lawler that he won. You remember the day before? I mean, the guy was like almost dead trying to make 170. And he almost missed. Like he, he almost missed for a title fight. You know what I'm saying? That, that fight was in jeopardy. That was that day that Kelvin missed Kelvin, against Story, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Kelvin was struggling to make weight against Story and all this shit. So, and then, you know, he gets through that and then he, he wins that fight and then he you know, balloons up like a whale, you know, in between fights. Remember, you remember all the pictures of that when he was like 230 and he's about to cut down 60 pounds to make 70. And then, you know, he loses against Robbie. And then, I mean, it pretty much goes off the deep end. You know, he pulls against T-Wood in the number one contender fight because he can't make ways, telling everyone he's like 180-something. <laughs> but in all honesty, he was probably like 210. 280. Yeah, 280. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know... um, and then, you know, after that, he uh, fights Kelvin and, you know, gets completely uh, butchered. I mean, people were saying that fight was close. We just, <laughs> we, we, me and Dan just watched Did it. Andrew try to act like he won that fight? Yeah, we just watched it yesterday, and, I mean, he got completely boxed up for three rounds. <laughs> he didn't do shit. I mean, he landed the occasional left hand. He still has the left hand. The power never goes away. But, I mean, when's the last time the guy knocked anything out? I mean... Martin Kamen? When's the last time Johnny Hendricks got a knockout? Pre-Usada. Pre-Usada, you know what I'm saying? And um, then, he, you know, he misses weight for Magny, loses that fight because Magny outstruck him off his back, which is embarrassing on his part. And then, you know, he fights um, Hector, and Hector's completely done. We just saw Hector up two rounds against Anthony Smith, you know, literally five minutes away from winning of his first fight in a long time, and he, he literally couldn't stay conscious to, <laughs> to get a win. So Hector's just completely done, man. And then, you know, he comes in here against Tim Bosch, up a weight class, makes some bullshit excuse that he's sick. He can't make weight 15 pounds up a class. And then, you know, Tim Bosch lands it right high. And, you know, Johnny took a knee for the first time in his career. He finally had enough, man. He, t he, he took a knee. You know what I'm saying? It was It's no mincing words. He, he took a knee and he found his way out. He tried to get up and then he just said, fuck this shit, bro. I'm, I'm good, man. I, I can't make weight anymore. The weight cutting has affected my body. So what I've learned is all these guys struggling to make weight, they're getting faded. Johnny Hendricks, uh, Nick Lentz, and Khabib Nurmagomedov. You know what I'm saying? These guys whose bodies are just drastically changing from this weight cutting thing. You got you got to start fading them. In. in the past, I've been a guy that says uh, missing weight really doesn't mean shit, but long term, it does mean shit. You got to pick the spots. You don't just fade a guy because he missed weight. You don't fade John Lineker because yeah, he's lazy. Exactly, and shit. exactly. You don't fade a guy just because he missed weight for you know a certain event. You just pick the spot, and when you know that these bad bad weight, because like Henry Cejudo, for example, you know what I'm saying? He he'll he'll be faded soon because. 
I know he looked good against Wilson, who's a jiu-jitsu guy, but make no mistake about it. I know he almost died trying to make 125, and he's going to have to make 125 again. You know what I'm saying? And so <laughs> so when, he, when he makes 125 again, then, then we'll uh, have talks about that dog money on Sergio. But uh, fucking my, my thing is, man, I have a, a parlay leg um, actually on the next fight we're about to talk about. And um, I'm, I'm thinking about closing this with Boricini. I know Boricini is young. I know he's undefeated. But I honestly feel like Hendricks will not be able to handle this, bro. This is a different level of ferocity. Like, Bosch, I watched the Bosch fight, and Bosch is just, like, slipping and ripping and, like, you know, like, landing overhand rights off the brakes. K-1 Bosch. <laughs> like, I'm like, whoa, Bosch is looking like a K-1 striker out here, like, landing right kicks and, you know, circling off. And I'm like, wow, like, this is this is crazy. And Hendricks is just swinging one big left. And, you know, I'm not saying that Hendricks – I understand Hendricks is a two-time – He's arguably one of the greatest college wrestlers of all time. The guy's a four-time All-American. He beat Ben Askren twice. He beat Tyron Woodley in wrestling. He beat uh, he beat a whole bunch of guys in wrestling. He's a two-time national champion. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, if he if he wants to uh, gas himself out diving on Boricini's legs, come on. Because, I, you know, generally these big, brolic Brazilians, they generally have a cardio problem. But not Boricini, man. Boricini can actually box and he can actually keep a pace. And, I mean, I think he's going to stalk Hendricks down, land that right body kick. And I feel eventually, at some point, Hendricks will have had enough. Yeah, man, I'm with you on this one. You know, it's funny because when it, when it got announced, I was like, oh, you know, the undefeated guy. Because, you know, I don't like betting on undefeated fighters, even though I'm about to do that in the next fight. However, but, but for the most part, I don't like betting on undefeated fighters because that first L is always right around the corner. And also, I was thinking, well, Bangbus took this guy down, so therefore Johnny can. But then I rewatched that fight, and it's like, Bang- Bangbus didn't really take him down. I mean, what happened was uh, Bangbus got the absolute shit beaten out of him. And, uh, you know... Paulo uh, got taken down after like a serious like blitz, like, like a blitz where you're <laughs> like, Paulo Wally can blitz. You like, let's 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 think about this for a second. If that was Johnny in there, man. Like, bro. I don't know if he could take that. I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know, bro. And for Johnny to win this fight, it doesn't come down to just landing one takedown. He has to land takedowns consistently for the duration of the fight. I personally don't see that happening, man. I think that uh, this is going to be a one side ass whooping and Paulo Boricina swinging the hammer. Now, you know, I wasn't crazy about the minus 230. I thought the minus 200 was a lot better. But at the same time, you know, it should be minus 230. It should be minus 330. Like, it, it, it should be it should be heavily priced heard, because it's going to be a bludgeoning. You know, I heard a guy yesterday on the uh, on some podcast, and he was like, you know, this line could be higher, man. And it's like, this, is, this might be our last chance to fade the guy. And it's less than minus 250. So it's like... Why? Why am I? Because, bro, we honestly we should have bet him against Bosch. I mean, we thought about but when the fight got announced with him and Bosch, we said he's simply too small for Bosch. Like, and then we passed on it because Hendricks. All this talk about oh, Hendricks feels so good at one eighty five, and we know that Bosch is uh win two fights, lose two fights. You know what I'm saying? And so I mean, look, Hendricks is saying he feels reinvented at Greg Jackson's. Do yeah. not buy that bullshit. <laughs> don't, don't buy even that for bullshit. a second. Don't buy that bullshit. What are you gonna train train somewhere for four weeks and automatically be rejuvenated? Like, come on, bro. Look, you saw his, his pre fight interview. The dude's loopy as fuck. Don't also. be surprised if he misses weight. And the sec the second I hear he's having troubles missing weight or he has to be transported to the hospital, I'm putting Borchinia in that parlay. Here we go. First title fight. Of three, we got Joanna Yunjacek. Oh, actually, before we talk about Joanna, let's talk about uh, let's talk about the pride of Cuba because we got Jorge Gamebred Masvidal. He's plus one fifty five, and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is minus one seventy five. Now, Shaq, 
a lot of people are very convinced that Jorge Masvidal is going to lose another split decision here, which when he loses fights, it is via split decision. Now, I challenge you real quick, Shaq. When was the last time Wonderboy Thompson won a close decision? Never. Exactly. He doesn't win close decisions. His style doesn't allow him to do that. Let's talk about Wonderboy's Tom- Wonderboy Thompson's history and decisions in the UFC. So, first time was against Matt Brown. And, you know, Matt Brown wasn't having any of his karate bullshit. And you saw what happened, bro. He closed the distance and he absolutely put a beating on him. Okay. Next time Wonderboy went to decision was against Nashun Burrell. And we know the deal. If you're punked out before the fight even begins... You know, Wonderboy's going to 30-27 you. That wasn't a close decision. He went out there and he won it. Next one was against Patrick Cote. And, I mean, Patrick Cote, I mean, the dude, he's so fucking slow. He's so unathletic. The dude's retired now. You know what I'm saying? Like, And, and they were friends and shit. Wonderboy's going out there dropping him and then helping him back up. I'm like, what the fuck's up with this guy? So he won that decision. It was a wide decision. He won it. Next decision he went to was Rory. So, the Rory fight, I mean, people are like, oh, he's 50-45, Rory McDonald. Let's talk about that for a second. You know, go ahead, go ahead. All I'm saying is Rory's getting max bet faded against Douglas. I mean, when a guy on that level is starting rolling for leg locks at this stage in the game, because honestly, going into this fight, you know what I was saying. I was like, bro, I'm not trying to get involved. in my look, my fucking avatar is Masvidal, you know, staring at uh, Cerrone. He's one of my favorite fighters of all time. But like I said, I ain't with, the, with this fanboy shit and betting someone because I like him. But then the more I started thinking about it, I'm glad I watched that tape with the Rory fight because I didn't previously. And, uh... That karate shit ain't shit, bro. Like, if we're really being honest, I mean, earlier in his career, like when he fought Ellenberger or uh, uh, Chris Clements or, you know, Whitaker, then, that you know, that would have scared me a little bit. But lately, man, I feel like the guy's getting a little bit older. That spinning shit, he, he rarely, you know, does it that frequently anymore. And it's like these guys that fight him are, like, so scared of it. Like, it's crazy. Like, Rory was straight scared of it. And Rory was coming off one of the worst-ass whoopings of all time, you know, uh, against Robbie Lawler. So I, And make no mistake about it, Rory McDonald will be faded. Um, you will see the hashtag Rory got his ass beat very soon. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like... Oh, man, if he tries to roll for the leg lock against Doug, bro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just saying there's just certain... Guy, there's just certain level of fighters that would never in their minds roll for a leg lock and like the reason he was rolling for a leg lock he got punked out from a sidekick yeah you know what i'm saying like and i just the more i really started thinking about it i was like man george george might be not i don't think george is gonna be scared of this shit like that rory fight was really telling for me man i I was just like man i I don't i just don't see masvidal being intimidated by this shit like rory is or you know little t wood or you know, God, T would is. I hate saying shit like that, but man, we need a we need a new welterweight champion. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, he's a, he's a good he's a good fighter to bet on because you know he's not going to take any uh, any risk out there. You know what I'm saying? But that's the thing. Watching him from a watching perspective, the guy ain't going to take any risk. He's going to back into the fence and do nothing. Um, and Ro- and Wonder Boy couldn't even beat that guy. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> T Wood literally does nothing. You know, what? <laughs> he literally does nothing. Wonder Boy can't win close decisions. And uh, you know, so when I really started thinking about it, I was like, man, Masvidal might be worth a shot here, man. And I already know what I'm getting with Masvidal. I'm getting one of the most uh, well-rounded fighters in the game. Tell me one hole Masvidal has besides. That he loses, yeah, besides coasting, that he loses close decisions. And, hey, you know, if I lose a close decision in this one, it's only a one-unit bet at plus one, plus uh, 160 is what I got it at. And, uh, 
if I lose a close decision, then hey, you know, you know, you know what you got yourself into. But I honestly feel like Wonder Boy, if he, if this spinning shit ain't working, and if this little cute little sidekick shit ain't working, I feel like George could catch a sidekick, take him down, and being in there with a a Masvidal moving forward is a scary thing, bro. Like we we saw that Cerrone fight, we saw how you know Masvidal stays. Masvidal is the one that ended Cerrone's career initially. You know what I'm saying? So I think Masvidal has a very good chance to go in here, stalk him. And walk him down and eventually rock him, drop him with a shot, you know, beat him up on top. And I feel like Wonder Boy is not the type of guy that can come back in a fight. I feel like he's a, he's a pretty boy, you know what I'm saying? I feel like if you really had to deep down and, you know, like how me and Dan like to say, if, if this shit gets a little real, if this shit gets hood, it's like what we talk about, you know what I'm saying? Can he come back from that? I know George can. So I did take that plus 160. Um, you know, it is what it is. If he loses a split, he loses a split, you Erase it and move on. But uh, I think he has a very good chance to come out here and uh, and pull off the upset. You Plus 160 next to a guy as well-rounded as Masvidal, you kind of have to take it. So like I was saying about how Wonderboy doesn't win close decisions, I mean, that fight against Rory, Rory was punked out before the fight even began. And like you said, he was coming off the worst ass-whooping in UFC history when his face literally broke and he took a, a knee against uh, Robbie Lawler. So he comes back there, he eats one jab, and then he's, you know, he's diving for he's doing Eminari rolls he's and doing shit. I'm like shit. come <laughs> on man like, who the fuck does shit like that and I, I heard people talking about how you know Wonder Boys fought so many better strikers in the UFC than 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 uh, Masvidal oh really who like better strikers like Rory like get, if you're saying Rory is better than Masvidal in terms of technical striking you're, you've lost your fucking mind because I mean Rory like are you shitting me right now Rory's got zero hands firstly Wait. When's when's he fighting Douglas? It will all be. Uh, uh, I, I cannot. That'll be a day of reckoning. You know when uh, when he gets kicked with one leg. We'll talk about that yeah, soon. Man. But uh, anyways, as far as Wonder Boy's concerned, look, I know when he fought a twenty year old Whitaker, he knocked him out, and Whitaker was at one seventy. Hey, much respect. That was a great knockout. You know how long ago that was? Let's put it like this. Hennen Barrow was a thirty one and one long reigning champion it looked like he was about to be the pound for pound great like that's back when when wonder boy knocked out whitaker and since then you saw whitaker go up to 185 and win the title so i mean it's a completely different guy that was like nine or ten fights ago for for rob whitaker and also for for wonder boy so since that point we talked about the rory fight where you know they stared at each other for five straight rounds but but wonder boy landed a couple better shots so he won the fight since that point, man, I mean, what about the two close decisions he had with T-Wood, where T-Wood literally didn't do a fucking thing, and Wonderboy still lost? It's because with the new scoring, it doesn't favor Wonderboy's style of fighting. The new scoring favors damage over bullshit. I mean, Wonderboy's... Look, man, when Wonderboy knocks people out, it's because they charge him recklessly. Like, for example, when Jake Ellenberger fought him or when Johnny Hendricks fought him, these guys didn't bring in karate guys to train with. These guys thought, okay, you know, I can just go in there... Uh, rush him recklessly and I'll catch him. And you do something like that against Wonder Boy, you're gonna eat a spinning heel kick up top, up, up top the head. It is what it is. And uh, but with Matt Brown, he charged him technically. He charged him the right way. That's why he was able to beat the shit out of Stephen Wonder Boy Thompson. Masvidal uh, is a lot crisper with his technique. A lot. He's a lot more calm out there. He's so experienced. He just feels at home inside the octagon. I think he's gonna walk down Wonder Boy and he's gonna. He's going to counter him off the kicks. When Wonderboy tries to do his bullshit kicks, and, you know, when I say bullshit kicks, I'm not trying to disrespect him, even though, I mean, come on. Like, you saw that fucking bullshit he was doing his last few fights, those sidekicks. I mean, come on, that's not going to put anyone down, man. So when he tries to sidekick Jorge, 
Jorge is going to counter with a big 2-3-2, a big 1-2-3, something like that. And I, I think the right hand is going to be a massive weapon in this fight. I think we're going to drop, drop Wonder Boy. I'm not sure if we're going to finish him, but I think we drop him. We get on top of him. We land big punches, and then we get in his face. We close the distance. We take him down. We make it a dirty fight. Yeah, if we stare at him for three rounds and don't do a fucking thing, then okay, yeah, Wonder Boy, take the decision, man. But that's not the dog I'm betting on, man. I mean... The dog I'm betting on is a guy that's going to get in his face, walk him down, and uh, make him feel that pressure, make him get into a real fight, which we know Wonderboy doesn't like. And I know he's a tough guy. I know he got dropped by Woodley. I know he was in a guillotine choke and didn't tap. Look, he's a tough guy, so he'll take his ass whooping and not quit. Okay, cool. That being said, everyone's scared that if it goes to decision that... You know, everyone's acting like it's a foregone conclusion that Wonder Boy's going to win the decision. I completely disagree. Wonder Boy does not win close decisions. I think if it goes to decision, Jorge's going to win. But I won't be surprised if Jorge comes out here and puts him away either. That being said, when it was plus 160, I mean, I'm like, all right, come on. You know, it opened plus 120, I get that. But plus 160, I mean, come on. So, yeah, I put two units on that. And I, I think he's going to go out here and... uh Beat Wonder Boy Thompson. I think when you're a karate guy, you re rely on your speed, you rely on your, your explosiveness, your athleticism. And I think when you get older, and let me remind you, Wonder Boy's about to be 35 in February. What's the first thing to go, Shaq? The speed. Yes. The speed is the first thing to go. And it's not like Jorge Masvidal is this knockout artist, even though you saw his knockouts of Cowboy Cerrone and Jake Ellenberger, both very devastating. And uh, he also didn't get dropped by Jake Ellenberger like Wonder Boy did. I, I am questioning Wonder Boy's chin a little bit. He's got heart and recoverability. Yes, he does. But I, I question his chin. I think uh, the right hand's going to be a big weapon. So I got Jorge, game bread, Masvidal. Yeah, you know, that uh, that parlay leg I was talking about was not Wonder Boy inside the distance. I just, I ain't worried about him finishing George. If he does, I'd be absolutely shocked. I've seen George get hit with everything in the kitchen sink. The guy's only been finished by strikes once, and it was very controversial. Um, I just don't think he was getting finished. It was minus 368 when I got it, two units. I'm thinking about closing that with uh, Boricinha the second I hear Hendricks is struggling with the weight cut. Bro, motherfuckers had the audacity to say that Rodrigo damn stopped Jorge Masvidal. <laughs> <laughs> if they really looked into it, you know what I'm saying? They would know it was very controversial. But Yeah, and that was also a million years ago. So, listen, I took two units on Masvidal plus 160, and also Shaq just reminded me, I took not Wonderboy inside the distance, and I put it in a two-unit parlay because, look, Wonderboy comes out here and stops Masvidal. Hey, much respect. Look, I'm not going to sit here and trash talk him. Much respect. I'll tip my cap if you go out here and stop Masvidal. But he ain't stopping Masvidal. So I put not Wonderboy inside the distance in a two-unit parlay. Now, next up, here we go. Now's the time. Joanna Yunjacek, she's minus 700, and rightfully so. The comeback on not-so-thug Rose Namajunas is plus 500, and... Listen, man, when it was minus 380, I put it... You know how I was talking about that Randy Brown max bet and how I got in a parlay? Well, two of the units I got on a minus 380 Joanna, and then the other two I got on a minus 400 Joanna. I think this is about to be a bludgeoning. I mean, you know what's funny is... Uh, We've been saying for years that Rose is mentally weak, and that's not to, you know, sit here and make fun of mental health or any shit like that. We're just being real with it. She breaks in fights that don't go her way. That's what we mean when we say she's mentally weak. So we've been saying that for years, man. I mean, that's why we took Carolina plus 215. That's why we bet on Tisha Torres, and we got robbed, but it is what it is. We had the right idea. Now, uh, Joanna is going after her and calling her mentally weak. Now everyone's lo losing their fucking mind, like, oh, are you making fun of depressed people? It's like, nah, 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 nah. Listen, this is the fight game. Hey, Rose... 
if you if you want to do something about it, do something about it this Saturday. If you got a problem with what Joanna with what Joanna had to say, then go fucking do something about it this Saturday at MSG. You know what I'm saying? They're gonna get into a fist fight, so you know people got a problem with what she's saying, then tell Rose to go fucking do something about it. And this Saturday she's got the opportunity, and she ain't gonna do shit. I'll tell you that right fucking now, man. I mean, this is gonna be a serious one-sided ass whooping. I think it's gonna be to the point where Joanna sets a significant strike differential. On uh, Rose Namajunas' face, it's gonna get ugly. And you know, we talk about uh, oh, but what if Rose gets a flying armbar? What if Rose, you know, takes her back? Get the fuck out of here with that bullshit. She ain't doing any of that. And we we watch her fight with Karate Hottie. It's funny, I actually bet Karate Hottie, which in retrospect is a terrible bet, but it lets you know where my mind's at. That I will fade Rose Namajunas at all costs because she's mentally weak. Sorry to say it, but it's just the fucking truth. And also, her she just named her manager Pat Barry. <laughs> uh, she. As long as Pat Barry is in the picture, Rose Namajunas will not be a world champion. Just mark my words on that. And uh, I, I think she's going to get her ass absolutely destroyed. You know, people talk about that head kick she landed on Watterson. If you think she's going to land anything like that on Joanna Young Jacek, you have another thing coming, man. I mean, with Watterson, you know, she threw one of her fucking stupid sidekicks and then looked the other direction, ate a head kick, and went down. What do you expect to happen in that situation? Joanna and Jacek isn't going to throw a stupid sidekick and look in the other direction. She's going to absolutely pick her apart. The speed is too much. The distance, the confidence. It's just, this is a mismatch, man. And it's minus 700. Every single person has Joanna in their parlay. And normally that's a reason to be scared. Fuck, I ain't scared. Look, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. It's I'm not, it's not like I'm putting my whole bankroll on it, even though you probably should, right? No, but look, I put five units. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I don't think I'm wrong. I think uh, Johanna's abs- going to absolutely bludgeon her. And I don't know if Rose will ever fight again. <laughs> that was, I mean, you pretty much hit it on the head, bro. Um, like I said, man, I, I actually uh, faded Johanna in her last fight against Andrade. And I learned my lesson, bro. I, I was legitimately convinced Andrade was the one, you know. But Johanna showed me that there was a class above, bro, and I ain't fading Johanna ever again, especially not with Rose. I mean, you know, I cashed a plus 200 live here, plus 215 live here in Atlanta next to Rose's family in uh, Phillips Arena, you know what I'm saying? And I was cheering against her, and I was saying, yes, Carolina, knees to the body, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, like I said, you know, I'm always down to fade Rose on my units. I faded against Tisha Torres. Unfortunately, the judges didn't uh, give that one to me. But, uh, you know, any anytime, like, if I'm getting Rose versus Andrade, Rose versus Claudia, Rose versus T- uh, the trilogy with Tisha, Rose versus... Uh, Those are the top. You know what I'm saying? Anyone anyone on that level, that top six, seven chick fighters at 115, I, she's getting faded, bro. You know what I'm saying? And it is what it is. Um, I just don't think she... I think I feel like maybe, you know, early the stand-up exchanges, because Rose is, she's a she's a little flowy early, but the second the second she gets that nose touch, you know what I'm saying? The second uh, she eats that hard low kick, and Ioana's just staring at her, and she realizes, oh, fuck, you know, she'll break again, and, and once you break, you'll always break, you know what I'm saying? I, I, I don't see any danger in this fight after the first two minutes, and uh, the armbar shit... Unless Joanna did something stupid, which I don't see happening. The chick is like, like we said about Kobe Covington last week. She She's basically in the same setup as Kobe Covington. You know what I'm saying? She's living at ATT. She's 
just waking up training, waking up going to sleep training, you know what I'm saying? That's all it is with her. She's a she's a real athlete, you know what I'm saying? Not saying that Rose isn't, but I just think there's a it's a step above and uh Rose is going to pay for, you know, saying that stupid shit that she said about Joanna when they met up in Colorado and she's going to pay for that and you know, you know, Joanna was probably trying to do her a favor and be nice or not, you know, mentally break the chick, but uh she she opened up her mouth and it was a bad mistake and she's going to pay, but uh I'm passing on it cuz you know, I missed the minus 380 and um, you know, I did. I was waiting at the time to see this Randy Brown line, and uh, but uh, I think it's gonna be a one sided 50 45 ass of them. I wouldn't even be shocked if she finished her, to be honest. You're being nice saying 50-45. I was thinking 50-43. I was thinking 50-43, but look, man, I mean, Rose Namajunas, she's got way bigger problems in this fight with with Joanna and Jacek. I mean, you know, if you guys are truly fans of her, tell her to get rid of that fucking Pat Berry creep, you know what I'm saying? I mean, fucking 30 30 years old dating a 15-year-old. I mean, what the fuck is that, man? It's absolutely disgusting. I'm going to throw up in my goddamn mouth. But uh, she will be faded, and she was faded, and uh, she, this weekend uh, we eat. So I'm, I'm very excited about this opportunity. It would be an absolute atrocity if Rose Namajunas was a UFC champion. Almost as much of an atrocity if fucking Roxanne Modafferi wins the belt. But I think I think even worse, man. I mean, come on, man. Like, th- this shit can't happen. So hopefully it doesn't. <laughs> now, here we go. Cody Garbrandt, or as we like to say in Brazil, Cody Garbrandt. He's minus 185. The comeback on TJ Dillashaw is plus 160. And, uh, Shaq, you know we don't like betting on undefeated fighters. Cody Garbrandt is the undefeated fighter. But, man, I think there's something special about him. And, you know, I was wrong about him in the Cruz fight. You know, I thought that fight was going to be closer than people expected. But I didn't think he was actually going to go out there and not just beat Dominic Cruz, but absolutely tool and school Dominic Cruz. I've also been wrong about a couple of his other fights. Well, one of his other fights. And that was the Tomas Almeida fight. I thought that Tomas Almeida was going to be the future world champion. And, you know, to this day, I still think he's a great talent. But it turned out that Cody Nolove was the future world champion. And it's kind of like a... Who was that fighter we were – oh, it's kind of like Darren Till where, you know, his coaches were saying, you know, he's never really been out of first gear because, you know, when I saw him fight Mizugaki and, yeah, he knocked him out in under a minute, but Mizugaki was still landing some shots. I was like, man, if Tomas or, you know, Dominic Cruz lands shots like that, got good night, Irene. But what we learned was that Cody Garbrandt's a big game player, man. When it's time to rise to that occasion, the dude rises to the occasion. And, I mean, dude, he made fucking – Dom Cruz come to him. The footwork wasn't an issue at all. And now we got the poor man's version who, I mean, people are trying to act like like TJ emulates Cruz. Let, let's be real about that. TJ ain't shit. <laughs> I mean, go watch. I challenge every single listener of Half the Battle to do what Shaq and I did, and that's open two separate fight pass windows. On one of them, play TJ versus Burrell 1. The first time they met, I believe, what, UFC 173? Yeah. Play, it, the, play, so. play the first round. Of TJ Dillashaw versus Henan Burrell one. The first five minutes, watch how he's moving. I mean, he looks like a fucking demon out there the way he's moving. It was unbelievable. Then watch the first round against Rafael Asuncao at UFC 200. Tell me, look me in the eye with a straight face and tell me that's the same guy because it fucking ain't. He slowed down like crazy. He gets countered a lot, especially in the pocket. You saw that in the Joe Soto fight. You saw that in the Rafael Asuncao fight and the times that he actually let Lineker trade with him. I mean, he was wincing to some of those body shots, something that even Chito Vera wasn't doing, man. So uh, they trade in the pocket. Uh, Cody's going to knock him out. I mean, the speed is just too much. The speed difference is massive here. I I feel like people don't understand that. They think that people are under the impression that that TJ Dillashaw moves like Dominic Cruz, except he's got head kicks and shit. Dude, he doesn't move anything like Dominic Cruz. He slowed down a bunch, and uh, we saw some uh, some bumps on his stomach. Uh, I, we're not gonna get into it, but if you know what that is, you know what that is. And uh, 
let's just say USADA hasn't been kind to, to the snake. So, And still, I got two units on Cody Garbrandt with not Wonder Boy inside the distance. It was a plus 100 play. And I put two units on it, Shaq. I believe that Cody Garbrandt will retain his belt. And I don't think it's going to be a close fight. I think it's going to be a knockout. Yeah, man. You know, TJ Dillashaw is a guy, you know, who, I mean, we've been, you've been hearing me say, I feel like the guy's on the decline for a while, man. I mean, you know, he got faded against the Suns out, you know, it didn't cash out. The Suns out almost pulled out the fight 10 days before due to an injury. And the Suns was coming off a two and a half year layoff, like injury after injury. And I felt like TJ could have looked a lot better, man. I know he won every round, but I felt like at times, bro, he was looking real slow. Like that was going through my mind. And Cody said the same thing. He said he was sitting in the stands watching and he felt like just watching that shit live that he thought TJ was looking real slow. And I felt like a Suns was countering him at times really good. But like we said, a Suns was coming off that layoff. And then, you know, he goes in there against Lineker and... Styles make fights, man. TJ's a smart fighter, and Lineker is not. I mean, yeah, Lineker is not very smart fighter. We know what Lineker's doing. He's trying to bust your body up, come up top of the uh, headshots. And, you know, we, we know you know his game plan is very basic. You know what I'm that saying? That takedown TJ land on him isn't going to work Exactly. Here. That takedown ain't going to land. And, you know, watching that fight, you know, you know, it's funny. Uh, you know, Brian Caraway, the number six guy in the world, the second he sees that fight, you know, he wants to come out out of his hole and he wants to fight Lineker. You know what I'm saying? So that's like, look, John Lineker, he, he's a top five anyway, but there's guys outside that top five that can beat him is what I'm saying. I feel like he's an exciting fighter, but I feel like, you know, number five bantamweight in the world is a great, you know, cap in his feather, but it's like... Cheeto just won round three against him. You know what I'm saying? Guy, There's guys that can beat him. You know what I'm saying? Not too many guys ever will accomplish ever being the number five guy in the world, but it's just there's different levels to this game. What I'm saying is Cody Garbranch, Dominic Cruz, Jimmy Rivera, TJ Dillashaw, those are the top four in this game, and no one outside that top four is going gonna, is gonna to be in a, in a, a Sunside number five. You know, those those guys, those those core four guys, no one's going to beat those guys outside. For now. Saying. For now, at least. You know what I'm saying? So uh, it's just a different – those four guys are just on a different level is what I'm saying. Um, TJ, he, he's – I feel like he's adapted his style now to the point where he's just trying to weasel out decisions, you know, look pretty, uh, get little takedowns, you know, just stay ahead on the cards. And, you know, he thinks he beat Dom Cruz. He didn't beat shit against Dom Cruz. He lost four rounds. Yeah, four rounds, 49-46 Cruz. There was no issue with the 49-46 at all. Cruz won the first four rounds, and TJ won, won the last round. He, he – like, if you honestly think he won the first cruise fight, I mean, like, bro, he literally missed, like, every every shot he landed, he missed three shots before that, is what I'm saying. The guy's accuracy rate was, like, 20-something percent that night. It was atrocious. I mean, the guy missed, like, like, bro, he missed, like, over 200 punches, you know what I'm saying? Um, as far as Cody goes, man, like I said, I, I tried to fade him against uh, Thomas Almeida. It didn't work out. And it was funny because, you know, I was away when he uh, fought Cruz. But something in my head was just telling me, man, I feel like it's a bad fight for Cruz. And I was watching um, them have a little back and forth live on the um, Colorado card, uh, on the Valentina Pena card. And I'm like, man, Cruz is acting super out of character. Like, this ain't, this ain't Cruz. But, um, and Cody proved me wrong, man. I had a feeling he was going to win that fight, and he did, man. So he's the real deal. He beat the greatest bantamweight of all time. And I don't think TJ will ever see that level again, man. I, I, I've been saying for, Dan, Daniel knows that. I've been saying he's a USADA victim for the longest time. I've been looking to fade him and fade him, and it didn't work out. But maybe now's the time, man. Man, now that I'm thinking about it, man, I, 
TJ, TJ Randy Brown wasn't on this card. If Randy Brown wasn't on this card, bro, TJ TJ begin faded because TJ is a snake, you know. And and I, you know, I'm, I kind of wanted to stay away because you know Dan knows, you know Dan knows that I hate TJ Dillashaw with a passion, you know. I I just feel like the guy's like a, a little prissy little bitch, you know what I'm saying? Like he's just a guy I knew that if he was in my you know my my living circle, you know what I'm saying? He's a, a guy that I know I would never you know be friends with, you know what I'm saying? But that doesn't matter. No fanboy shit here. I haven't bet it just because I that that was my main concern. Am I getting emotional? Am I am I you know not liking TJ? That that was my uh, perspective going in. But uh, man, now I'm thinking about. I just don't think his skills are. I think he's too slow. I think he's gonna get caught in the pocket. I feel like he's. I've been saying for a while he's starting to have that Luke Rockhold, that you know Gray prime Gray Maynard situation where you know he gets hit on the chin and he kind of freezes up a little bit. We saw it at times against Lineker in those last thirty seconds when Lineker started teeing off on him and he was he was freezing up and he was you know wincing to the body shots, man. But you know Lineker does hit like a truck, but I, Cody hits like a real fucking truck is what I'm saying. And uh, and man, I talk shit about Cody, but man, the guys prove me wrong every 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 time, bro. So I'm going with Garbrandt. I'm gonna say third round TKO. And uh, Beast, I might bet it, you know, on that night. But, you know, I need to handle business with Randy Brown bludgeoning Mickey Gall first. But uh, we'll make talks. Look, TJ Dillashaw hasn't even put himself in the position to become a world champion. I mean, if you think about it. So he won the belt with Team Alpha Male. And then he left because his coach went to another gym. So he goes with his coach to Colorado. Now, now he's now he's beefing with his coach, and he's going to California. He doesn't even have a head coach, man. He said that. He said that Dwayne's been out three to four times a week. What that really means is that Dwayne hasn't been out at all. I mean, you know, him and Dwayne are beefing. He doesn't even have a real coach. It's him and Cub Swanson. I mean, look, cool. I'm glad they're getting in good rounds, but how the fuck is that going to help him in this fight, man? He's not getting the high level training he needs. He's going to take an L here, and that's the bottom line. You know, Dwayne's only showing up on fight week just to act like he's the fucking coach. We know, we both know he's not the coach, bro. Dwayne, him and Dwayne are beefing. Why did he go to California? Why did he go to Colorado and then to California? The guy's a. Look, I, I'm not going to put that much stock into that, per se, because I, I did check out his Instagram. Dwayne has been in there. From what I understand, of course, Dwayne's in the pictures. And from what I understand, is he's flying back and forth from Colorado, staying out with TJ at TJ's house because TJ's having a kid. If y'all didn't know, he's having a kid, so I think he wants to be like close at home and shit like that. But what do you mean I know close he, at home? I thought close at home was Colorado. I know he moved to Colorado, his wife, but his family, he's from Cali, you know what I'm saying? So I feel like they, you know what I'm saying, bought a house back in Cali. Listen, when you go on the public record and you say Dwayne's only been out three to four times a week, that's to save face. we've We've heard in the past when Dwayne... From Chad Mendes himself, if Dwayne says he's been out there three holding pads for you three, four times a week, it generally means he ain't been there at all. So, like, so you know, I, I know he's training with Swanson. I see where he's coming from from that angle. He thinks Swanson throws punches like Garbrandt, and if you really think about it, he doesn't. I mean, at all. Like, Swanson, if you really watch the tape, Swanson swings wild, looping punches, and Garbrandt swings, like, technical, crisp. big, crisp, like, big shots in the pocket. I'm not saying that. Cubs on. I see where he was trying to get at it, but I think he made a mistake. I don't think. I also see where he was trying to go by leaving Alpha Male and go with Dwayne, but he also made a mistake. You know, <laughs> yeah, you the know guy just and he's going to make another mistake by yeah. standing in Initial, the pocket with Cody. When he initially left Alpha Male, you know, I was like, well, I don't see the big deal. Like, he feels like Dwayne. I think everyone was buying that Dwayne Ludwig hype train, oh like Dwayne. God. And I bought it. I bought it at the time. I was like, hey, TJ's doing the best for him. I was. I thought the Team Alpha Male guys were jealous because, you know, no one else is going to win the world title. And, you know, turns, else out, <laughs> turns out, you know what I'm saying? Um, 
you know, he goes out to Muscle Farm and Muscle Farm literally like the team breaks apart within like a couple of years. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, now they don't even have that facility anymore. Everyone's leaving. Doing They're all losing thing. fights. Yeah. Magni, uh, Matt Brown, Brown uh, TJ, um, who else? Brandon Thatch. Uh, I mean, you know, Do- I mean, Dober's a 500 fighter. You know what I'm saying? So. The team disbanded the second uh, TJ got there, but that doesn't matter. I think he's going to possibly take his uh, second, well, his first canvas snap. Don't forget this guy got blitzed by Dotson on tough. And, and that was you know, not that, an early stoppage. That was no early stoppage, bro. He got he, he was literally out on his feet. Actually, bro. third time because Cody knocked him out in the practice room. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's funny, man. You remember if that first Asuncao fight in Brazil, people have some assumption that it was a bad decision and that no, TJ got robbed. It was so funny because, like, I see the same things happening here. When they fought in Brazil, a Sunsau, a fresh Sunsau, you know, pre-list uh, injuries of a Sunsau. Um. <laughs> Holy fuck, Randy Brown's plus 100. <laughs> the disrespect. You guys are going to learn a, a big lesson on Saturday. But, um, yeah, but uh, Sunsau would land the harder shots in the pocket and TJ would wobble. And I think the same thing's going to happen here, just the fact that he's going to go to sleep this time. Can you fucking believe Randy Brown's plus 100? <sighs> Oh my god! Is this, is this a ten unit play? No, it's, it's a ten unit play now. Like you keep, they keep. Am I am I missing something? Like am I missing something here? I don't think so. Like a fight's still a fight, but <sighs> this guy ain't shit. So <laughs> main event of the evening, we got Michael Bisping, the middleweight champion of the world. He's minus one hundred five, and the returning George Saint Pierre is minus one fifteen. Now Shaq, a guy that hasn't been active for four years he retired he quit the sport he's moving up a weight class in the new drug testing era is slightly favored over the current reigning champion michael bisbang shack yeah it's uh i don't even know what to say about that guy man i've always thought he was on steroids his whole career i felt like he quit the sport after he got his ass whipped by hendrix and it's funny because like at first, you know, I was thinking that was one of the biggest robberies of all time. And when I rewatched the fight, it wasn't a robbery at all. You could easily say GSP won three rounds of that fight if you really watch it and not be biased and take away your opinion of from when you saw it live. But, uh, man, I've always thought the guy's a little French weasel. I've always thought he was a little, you know, French cheater. And that's why, you know, I've, I've stayed I've stayed out of this business, you know, for the while. Um, because I've, I'm like, man, getting into business with that guy, GSP, you know, he's, he's doing some sneaky shit behind the scenes. He might be paying off the judges. He might be, <laughs> you don't know that guy. The, I've always thought the guy was a cheater. When, when I first got into the sport, look, now I appreciate the art of point fighting. I, I appreciate the fight of, you know, you know, winning that close decision, that back and forth decision. But growing up, man, I, I I never wanted to watch the guy fight. I always cheered against the guy. You know what I'm saying? But no fanboy shit. Like I said earlier, I'm passing just because you know Michael Bisping. Even though I feel like the guy should be able to come come out here, outlast him, and knock him out and knock him out stiff. Let's not forget the guy just went to war with a 50 year old Dan Henderson. You know what I'm saying? A guy who was like two and whatever in his last some fights you know what I'm but saying? was that really a war but or did dan only land two shots the entire fight the, just the fact that he got caught with the shots like other i'm just saying like other guys would have gone in there and like smoked henderson within like a minute or two you know what i'm saying henderson can beat hector you know hector lombard who i said was completely done earlier even though like he could see those shots coming from a mile away but uh, what i'm saying is that's where GSP's seeing and he's saying, man, this guy just went to war with fucking Henderson. Like, I can beat this guy. The only thing I'm worried about is if can GSP straight up out wrestle him for five rounds. 
I've seen Bisping get out wrestled before, so I have to pass. But I think on the feet, he should mop the floor with him. I mean, GSP, all he's got is a jab. I understand. But when I watch the tape of him in his prime, like against Nick Diaz or against Jake Shields, like the guy was getting his head popped back with the one-two against Jake Shields. You know what I'm saying? Um, in the Condit fight, he got caught with a big head kick after a one-two. So I'm going to pick Bisping here by like fourth round TKO. I might bet it if I, you know, everything goes well. Bisping should be able to come out here and outlast them. I feel like early it might be a little hairy, but when GSP with that extra 15 pounds of weight, when those French steroids start to run out and he's starting to huff and puff, you know what I'm saying? But just be careful because, you know, I hate to say it, I know there's big GSP fans out there, but let's be honest here. The guy's, the guy's a, a French cheater. And, and, you know, let's not talk talk about him, you know, rubbing the Vaseline on his back back in the day. And, you know, there were some speculations that he might have paid off the judges in the Hendricks fight. And, you know what I'm saying? So be very fucking careful getting the business, fading that guy or betting on him. So, uh, but the pick is Bisping. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those situations where you should automatically fade the four-year layoff and he's moving up a weight class and he's in the USADA era, but... This is a very powerful guy, and I don't mean powerful in terms of strength. I mean powerful in terms of connections, you know what I'm saying, and in terms of money. And I'm wondering a couple things, man. I mean, I'm wondering, does he think this is such an easy fight that he's just going to come back off a four-year retirement, come at, come out here and become the fourth man in UFC history to hold two belts in two separate weight classes? I mean, is that is that what he's thinking here, or is he hurting for money? Like, did he go out there, spend all his money on coke and ecstasy in, in the French strip clubs? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't know. The, I don't know what the deal is. I don't know his real motivation. You know, people say, "Oh, he's got that itch again." Don't give me that bullshit. You know, like we we know how this bullshit works. We know how how fighters market themselves. I mean, we got friends that fight, and then they write, "I got that itch again." Two days later, and we both know they got no plans of fighting for six months. So talk is very very cheap, man. When people have beat Bisbing in the past, you know, for example, Tim Kennedy, Chael Son, and what they did was they were able to take him down and hump him, lay on him, but. You know, we got to give credit to Bisming's scrambling ability. I mean, you remember that fight with Rashad Evans, you know, the first wrestler that Bisming fought. And it was at 205, man. Rashad took him down, and Bisming was able to scramble up to his feet every time. He even took Rashad down. So I wouldn't count out Bisming's scrambling ability. It's just, look, the first round, yeah, GSP is probably going to take him down that first round. But, man, the layoff, you know, I Can don't want to do say. Can he do it for five? What's that? Can he do it for five rounds? Exactly, because I feel like. Bisbee is the kind of guy that's going to make you work. And when you've been out that, that cage for four years, bro, you're going to start huffing on win. He's going to gas out. And from there, I think the takedown attempts are going to be a little labored. On the feet, automatically in the first round, I think that Bisbee is going to outstrike him off the bat. Like, I don't even think that, you know, his, his bullshit jab and his little super mon- Superman punch to a leg kick. You know, and, and I call it bullshit because it's like, man, like he, he just does these little moves to kind of stall the fight and to avoid the fight, and look, I love point fighters, I love, I love all that shit, but you watch this fight with Jake Shields, and Jake Shields is popping his head back with jabs and one-twos, and it's like, the fuck is GSP doing in this fight, man, not saying he, not saying Shields won that fight or anything like that, I understand the point system, but come on, man, he looked awful in that shit, and you're telling me a guy with Bisbing striking can't handle that, I mean, Bisbing went out there and dropped Anderson Silva a couple times, you know what I mean, and Bisbing knocked out Luke Rockhold, Bisbing's the kind of guy that People were writing him off. People were saying he could never win the big fight. People were saying that, you know, maybe he'll get a title shot, but he'll never win the belt. And then he goes out there and beats one of the most dominant middleweights on planet Earth. I'm not going to say one of the most dominant middleweight champions because he never defended the belt even once. But look, at the time, Luke Rockle was fucking dudes up. You saw what he did to Weidman. You saw what he did, you know, in all those fights. The Machida fight. He absolutely wrecked dudes. Bosch. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even talking about what he did to Tim Bosch. But <laughs> look, 
Michael Bisbee went out there and he knocked him out in the first round. And then the fight with Hendo, I understand that, you know, you can look at it, oh, he got into a war with a 50-year-old man and this and that. But the reality is there was a mental thing going in that fight. Look, this guy knocked me the fuck out in the most devastating knockout in UFC history at, at UFC 100. Of course, Bisbee is going to be a little... I don't want to say scared, but of course there's going to be some nerves fighting that guy. You know what that guy can do to you, worst case scenario. Worst case scenario is GSP uh, has to fucking buy you plan B the next day because he fucking humped your leg for five rounds. So, you know, it, it's one of those things. I'm not worried about Bisman getting humped for five rounds. I'm just worried about some weasel bullshit where, you know, GSP gets a fucking steroid exemption you know like some bullshit like that don't be fucking surprised don't i mean the guy shook. the guy fucking rubbed vaseline all over himself between <laughs> rounds in the it. bj penn fight at <laughs> ufc 94 and got away with it i mean come on man like he gets away with cheating all the time you know people try to act like he's so good for the sport because he's a nice guy look i don't got a bet on the line so i'm allowed to talk some shit here we're just having fun with it you know what i'm saying but uh, the little fake French weasel is about to get exposed. You don't come back from a four-year layoff and win a fight in the UFC. This ain't Vince Pichel versus Damian Brown, okay? Mike, Michael Bisming is the motherfucking champ, and he's going to show why he's the champ. Uh, you know, we talk about jabs for GSP. Let's talk about jabs for Bisming. I believe the long jab, the the one-two, mixing it up with the high kick, all that stuff. I think they're going to be big weapons. Then we're going to get up from the initial takedown. And then George is going to start to huff and puff. And from there, we pop his head back. And he remembers why he quit the sport in the first place. So I got Michael Bisming and still the middleweight champion of the world. I don't think he loses the belt until he fights the real champ, Robert Whitaker. Now Shaq, we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself. And Big Marley, you're coming off. One of the, well, as far as I'm concerned, one of the biggest wins in your DraftKings history. Is that true, or have you had bigger ones before? Yeah, it's, it's right up there. Uh, I've had uh, a couple five-figure days, but yeah, I cleaned up last week and hoping to repeat this week. He's like, yeah, I've had a couple five-figure days on DraftKings. No big deal, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I'm just Big Marley over here, Big Marleying it up. And uh, bro, listen, man, I'm not even going to tell you who I like on this fight. I just need to see if we're... Thinking the same way because we got Mickey Gollies minus 120, Randy Brown's plus 100. I'm not even going to tell you who I like, but I think this is a complete mismatch, unlike the odds say. And I like one side really big. I'm curious if uh, if you like the same side. So tell me who you like in this fight. Uh, I like Randy Brown. Guessing that's who you like as well. Yes, sir. All right. Yeah, I mean, I especially like him, though, because of the DraftKings prices. Uh, the odds are even, but on DraftKings, Randy Brown's 7,800. Mickey Gall is 8,400, so, I mean, I think Randy Brown wins the fight, period, so I think he should be higher priced on DraftKings. He's not, so there's a lot of value there. Uh, you can guarantee he'll be on some of my lineups. I mean, can you believe the disrespect? Plus 100 on Randy Brown facing a guy who, you know, is coming off a win over CM Punk and Sage Northcutt. Like, the disrespect, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, guys, 4-0. I mean, he scores high when he wins, so if he uh, can get it to the ground, maybe he can get that submission. And score high again, but I think it's going to be tough. Yeah, he ain't getting shit to the ground. But anyways, man, I'm glad we agree on that one. But I got, I got to know your opinion on this because, look, Paulo Boracina is fighting Johnny Hendricks. And a couple years ago, there's no chance Johnny Hendricks would have been plus 200. But also a couple years ago, there's no chance he would have been fighting at 185 pounds. The guy's a very lazy welterweight. He's on his way out. Do you think uh, Paulo Boracina is going to put the nail in the coffin? Or are you expecting uh, Paulo to get his first L here? Yeah, man, I think Boracina takes this one. Uh, and scores pretty highly. Uh, I would guess a first round knockout. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what Hendricks really has for him at this point, and I don't know. Uh, 
Man, it'd be hard to get past Sportina, I think, at this point. Man, that guy is huge. He's shredded. He looks like a human statue. Uh, and he's a, he's a killer. He's scoring like 100 points in each of his fights, too, which is good because that's what wins tournaments. And I think he's going to do that again here. I think it'll be over 100 points. He's going to get that knockdown in the first-round finish. Um, and I think he's going to add up a few strikes before Hendricks will actually go down. So he's one of my favorite plays on the card. Um, Hendricks, on the other side, I think he'll be super low-owned. And if he can make it out of that first round, maybe Borchino will be gassed. And maybe he can get a second-round, third-round finish. And nobody's going to have him. So that's the only reason I would play Hendricks is because he would be low-owned. Uh, but that would be uh, tournaments only, not cash. Look, Jorge Masvidal is taking on Wonderboy Thompson. And a lot of people are hesitant to play Jorge Masvidal because they think that he's going to go out here and lose a split decision. But the reality is that Wonderboy's style does not win close decisions. Anytime that Wonderboy has been in a close decision, he's either lost or he's gone to a draw. So he's never won a close decision in his life in the UFC. And, man, I think that Jorge's the kind of guy that's not going to respect his karate style, can walk him down and actually land some big shots. Do you have an opinion on this one? I'm actually going with Wonderboy here. Um, Pick-wise, I think he's going to win. Uh, and I, I put a bet on him back when the odds were a little lower, but that was before where they are now, so I wouldn't want to give it out at his current price. Uh, but the thing is, man, he just doesn't – he's not active enough for me in DraftKings, so I don't know if I would pick him in DraftKings. He's just my pick to win. However, if you're on Masvidal, I do think he is a good pick because if he's winning, he's definitely going to get his value at 7600 on DraftKings. Uh, every time he wins, he scores over 100. It looks like almost over 110 every time of these. <clears throat> every time he wins, he just strikes so much. So if you think he's going to win, I think he's a great play for you. I just don't think he's going to win. And I do think he's going to be highly owned because I haven't seen anybody picking Wonderboy. So I'm I'm going to avoid him just because he's going to be highly owned and I'm picking Thompson. But that's going to be a fade for me altogether. Oh, interesting. I wasn't aware because from what I've heard, everybody's picking Wonderboy. No kidding. I mean, everyone I've heard is on Masvidal. So I want to be the one guy on Wonderboy. But <laughs> let, I mean, maybe we're hearing different, I guess. Let me just let you know that you're not, okay? <laughs> so man there's a couple of guys that i have a feeling are going to be heavily owned but i also have a feeling they're going to win in the first round i'm talking about guys like ion kutaleba guys like walt harris and even though they're not necessarily on my lineup you know i know people are considering playing them the first round finishers are you putting them in yours or are you, are you looking at better opportunities yeah i mean i don't know how you can't have these guys i think they're both first round knockouts as well the problem is there's so many good plays at the top where you kind of have to pick and choose unless you're making multiple lineups. And uh, I am a multiple lineup kind of guy. This is a big card, so I'll probably have quite a few this week. Uh, so I'm definitely going to have my shares of both those guys. And I'll have them uh, together in a few lineups as well. If you can just start out with 200 points, that's not bad at all. Um, but I'm not sure if you can really trust either one of them in cash at their current prices. I think there's better picks in cash. But they're both great GPP plays. Now, there's two fights where I feel like both competitors, or all four competitors, could have high-scoring nights. And, you know, Corey Anderson versus OSP. Look, I know Corey Anderson might not be the funnest guy to watch, but one would have to assume that that fight with Jan Blankovic, he probably scored a lot of points because it was a takedown clinic. We know if OSP gasses, that's what this is going to be. But that being said, man, OSP always has that KO power that can end anyone's night. We know Corey Anderson is a bit chinny. I mean, he's been knocked out a million times. And even the fights that he hasn't been knocked out, he's done the chicken dance. So... Look, man, I'm saying an OSB first-round knockout or a Corey Anderson takedown clinic. I think both of those are high scores. Are you leaning a certain way or are you putting it on the back burner? 
Yeah, I think you're right on. Um, I think if you think OSP's getting that first-round knockout, I do think he'll be lower on than those other guys, so he could be a good GPP play. Uh, but I think I'm going with Corey Anderson in this one. As long as he doesn't get knocked out, he's definitely going to score highly because he's not going to stand and bang with OSP. He knows he's got a weak chin, and he knows where his strengths are, so he's going to get it to the ground and pile up to take down. So that score's high. That's what I like to see, and he's low-priced. He's only 7200 so 10x of that is only 72 points. There's no way he doesn't get that in the win. Uh, so I like that play a lot because you're going to have to save some money to get up to those heavy favorites. So speaking of heavy favorites, Curtis Blades, he's minus 400. I have a feeling, Kyle, that he's going to be one of the most heavily owned players on DraftKings. You know, people are expecting a takedown clinic here. But when you take down a guy like Oleksii Olenek, I mean, you can even full mount this guy. And, I mean, he's going for Ezekiel Chokes, the only one in UFC history, might I add. He choked out Mirko Krokop with a schoolyard headlock. I mean, he's got 42 wins by submission to his credit. He's taking on a guy in Blades who probably has a higher ceiling but is super green, man. So I could see a case for both guys. Um, I think, yeah, you're right. Um, Blades will be, I think, the highest on, on the card uh, because on DraftKings, he is the underdog for some reason. Interesting. Uh, he's 8,000 and Olenek is 8,200. So everyone's going to flock to that value because Blades is minus 400 on the betting line. So everyone's going to see that. I think he's going to be well over 50% owned. So the only reason Olenek, I think, is a good play is because everyone's going to be on blades. And if he does lose, you're you're really sitting pretty above the field with all those Olenek points. Um, but I can't trust that guy. I don't think he's going to try and take it to the ground. I think he's just going to try and knock him out. Um, and I am going to go to that value myself. I think that's a definite cash play for me. And I'm, I don't know if I want to really go along with the field, be heavier. I don't know what I'm going to do in tournaments yet, but... 8,000 is just too good to pass up. So I'll definitely have some blade shares. Uh, I think he's the best player on the card. So Irish Joe Duffy is taking on the Texecutioner James Vick. And, I mean, there's a reason they put this fight as the last fight on the prelims right before the the main card. I mean, it's kind of like when you saw Matt Brown versus Tim Means right before UFC 189 pay-per-view. is the perfect fight to lead into the pay-per-view. And, look, when you talk about guys like Joseph Duffy and James Vick, I mean, there's never been a boring UFC fight between those two guys. They either go out there and finish their opponents or they have three-round wars. I mean, they're super exciting guys. But now you got them matched up. And, look, it's a big step up in competition for both guys. I mean, with Joe Duffy, he's going from fighting, you know, Mitch Clark, who, you know the deal with that, Kyle, and uh, Reza Madati. Now he's fighting James Vick, but with James, he's going from fighting Abel Trujillo, who, let me add, has only lost to Tony Ferguson and Khabib, and uh, Polo Reyes, who, you know, this is a step up from Polo Reyes. So I think the winner of this fight is going to be a high point score. I don't see this one going the distance. So do you see the case for both guys? Uh, I don't know. I think I would rather fade the fight and as a whole rather than use both guys and kind of donate to the pot because, you know, you're going to have lo- uh, losing lineups when you use both guys in different lineups. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't hate a Vic punt on this one because he's 7,700 compared to Duffy's 8,500. So if, if my rule is the 10X, I think if Duffy wins, I'm not sure if he can get over 85 points in this fight. I could see it being a 29-28 decision. Um, so maybe, maybe 85 is a little bit high for him, but if Vic wins, I think he can get to 77. So, um, he would be my preferred play, but neither one of these guys score too highly when they get wins. So I think I would rather fade this fight. Um, but it will be low on. So if you use it and they do score highly, then, um, 
that could be really beneficial. Now, when you say that there are low point scorers, I mean, what do you consider you know a good a good uh, amount of points to score? Because I know, okay, obviously anything a hundred and over is good, but I mean, isn't you know sixty to seventy five that ain't bad, right? I don't like sixties, and I don't like seventies. I want, I mean, I really want the ten x. So it really depends on their salary. But a hundred is always the goal for me. A hundred points for any fighter is always going to meet value. Um, but that's also what's going to put you at the top of a winning GPP lineup uh, is six different people with over 100. So that's what we really need. But, I mean, if you're playing cash games, it's really not about being first in a 50-50 because you get the same amount of money whether you're first or fifth in a 10-man cash game. So I think in a cash game, it's definitely more safe because it, it should go all three rounds. They're going to get their fair share of points. Uh, so they both have decent floors. But I just don't think they're going to get over 100. So I would rather fade it in tournaments. Yeah, that's that hard-hitting Big Marley analysis. That's why you're the DraftKings guy for half the battle, my man. And, dude, before we go, we got to talk about the three title fights because we got Joanna Jacek. She's minus 700. She's taking on not-so-thug Rose Namajunas, who's plus 500. And, look, I get it's minus 700. I get that Joanna's going to be the most highly-owned player or fighter on DraftKings but that being said man she might also score the highest so even though everyone's on the same team is it worth just getting her for the points or do you fade that I mean I got to know from the expert here uh man it is gonna be hard for her not to score one of the highest on the card uh so you do gotta have your shares if you're making multiple items but I don't know man I think if you're only making one you definitely don't have to have her because there's people below her that could score just as much if not more so if you're if you're a one lineup kind of guy, I think you should fade it and avoid that ownership, and just hope that one of these other guys maybe gets three knockdowns before they get a first round finish, something like that. That'll put you over the JJ owners. Um, but cash, she's a lock. Everyone's gonna have her in cash games, um, and I don't think that you want to avoid that. So I think you just want to lock her in cash. Figure out the rest of your lineups after she's in it, uh, because you don't want to have everyone else getting those guaranteed 120 points and you not have it now does she usually score over 100 points i know her fights go to decision but per fight average are we talking over 100 points yeah her striking is just ridiculous she's always throwing like 200 significant strikes that are landing uh let me see andrage yeah she she scored 143 in her last fight and usually it's andrage that scores those kind of numbers on her opponents yeah i mean they both definitely i mean andrage scored really high in that fight too that's one where if you I believe the winner that week stacked both of them in a tournament lineup, and they pretty much won everything, uh, which, I mean, that's really ballsy to put a, a stack in a tournament lineup because you know you're going to get a loss. But if you're going to strike at that pace for five rounds, then, I mean, it is pretty smart because nobody else is going to have it. Uh, and that's that really only works with JJ fights because she's almost always going to decision, and she strikes five, she gets hit a lot, and that adds up. Um, so honestly, I don't think I would do that in this week's card. I think stacking is good in cash. I would do that for this card, but yeah, I, I mean, she strikes so much that I don't see how she doesn't get a hundred points in this. So she's a lock in my cash and, uh, I'll have my GVP lineups with her. I'll also have a good amount without her. So look, the champ Cody Garbrandt, he's taking on TJ Dillashaw. A lot of people think this is going to be a five-round war. Kyle, I disagree. I think Cody's actually going to go out here and knock out TJ Dillashaw. I know that's going to be a lot of points. I got him on my lineup. What's your opinion? Yeah, you absolutely have to keep him in your lineup because that'll be for sure over 10x. Uh, I'm taking Dillashaw on this fight, though. 
Um, I do think it will be a five-round war. I think it's stack cashable. Uh, I mean, cash stackable. <laughs> and um, with Dillashaw, man, at 7,900, if he wins, there's just no way he doesn't pay that off. So that's why I like him in this fight. I think the takedowns will be there every now and then. Uh, I think the stand-up is going to be really fun. But I do get being a really close decision. Um, so right now, I, I think I am stacking this fight in cash. I don't know if that'll stick or not. Um, but I think that they'll both score high enough where it'll work out for you in cash games. But my pick is Dillashaw. I will have my uh, fair share of Cody lineups as well, though, because, like you said, man, he could get the knockout. So, look, this main event, we know it GSP. Now, firstly, before we talk about the fight, was GSP even fighting back when DraftKings was first around? No, he wasn't, but they do have <laughs> stats because fight metric stats, and they're impressive. So, look, we know if GSP wins this fight, you know, takedown clinic, he's going to hump his leg. But we know those takedowns score a lot of points. And, uh, look, it could be a high point score. But that being said, man, four years outside the octagon, new drug testing. He's going up a weight class. I, firstly, was Biz being a high point scorer against uh, Anderson Silva, Luke Rockhold, and Dan Henda? Um, let me check his. I, I think so. I mean, him over... Henderson actually put me in that DraftKings live final at Madison Square Garden. So I will never forget that one. Uh, but he scored 90 points against Henderson, 121 over Rockhold, 94 over Silva. So, yeah, I mean, he's scoring high. And if he wins this, he's going to score high again. Wait. And he's only priced at 8,100. They're both 8,100. And the line is pretty even as well. So this goes right along with it. Um, I think it's either a Bisping knockout or a GSP decision in my mind, honestly. Um, so either one will pay off value with a win. It's just who is going to win. Uh, that's what you got to make mind on. Uh, but GSP, his name alone is going to gain a lot of ownership. So Bisping might be the smarter play. Well, Kyle, you correct me if I'm wrong, but you said that he scored more points against Hendo than he did against Silva? Uh, what, I say 90 on Hendo. 94 on Silva. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, I'm glad I misheard that because I was about to say he knocked down Silva, so I'm kind of surprised. But, yep, yeah. yep, that makes sense. That makes yeah, sense. If he didn't get that knockdown, it wouldn't have been as much. Yeah, yeah no, um, definitely. But GSP, man, they have stats for when uh, he was fighting. And when he fought hard, when he fought Hardy, he had 198 draft <laughs> What's the most 11, you've ever seen, by the way? 11 takedowns and 26 advances. Is that the most and, you've ever seen? Yeah, oh, yeah. That's like, I think, 177 is uh, from, I believe, DJ or Tim Elliott was the most I've ever seen. But yeah, well, so that's beaten it by at least 22 points. That's insane, uh, 198. And then he also had 187 against Fitch. So <laughs> he yeah. used to rack up points, man. He would have been a lock back in the day. Yeah, you know, too bad uh, he's got new doctors these days. But look, Kyle, man, thank you so much for the hard-hitting advice as always, man. I mean, glad to see you killing it. Follow this man at Big Marley 3. Kyle, you got any message for the fans before we talk next week? That's it, man. Good luck to everybody. Good luck to you guys. Let's kill it. Likewise, my friend. We'll talk next week for Showtime versus the Diamond. Sounds good, buddy. All right, man. Take care. And that's why Kyle Marley is the DraftKings correspondent. For half the battle. I mean, this is a guy that recently went out there. I believe he won. Now, don't quote me on this, but didn't he just win an 11K tournament? Yeah, that's what I heard, man. Kyle uh, consistently gets the job done, bro. Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. I'm still trying to learn about the game theory because, you know, I would never sit here to be and claim to be a DraftKings expert. That's why we have him on the show. 
But, man, I've been learning so much, and I feel like my lineups are getting better. Yeah, man, I still have yet to, like, get into it, but uh, maybe down the line. Definitely. Well, let's talk about some of these prelims because we got Ricardo Ramos. He's minus 165. The comeback on Eamon Zahabi is plus 145. Now, before we break down this matchup, Shaq, let me ask you something. If Eamon Zahabi takes a KO loss here, do you think that'll affect Joe Duffy or GSP? You know, uh, possibly, you know. Teammates have lost before. Like, you remember when Sergio got knocked out? Oh, but, but I don't even think that would have mattered if he would have won or not. But, <laughs> um, you know, possibly, but uh, it could, man. Because, you know, for Ross, that's for Ross, his little bro. Then he's got to corner Duffy in a few fights. Then if Duffy loses that, then he's got to corner GSP. So the team morale could be down, but the fighters should never let, you know, those type of things affect them. So uh, I'm going to just say. Who cares? And what do you think about the matchup? The matchup, though, man, uh, before the line came out, man, I was actually really high on this uh, Ricardo Hamos guy, and I agree with the minus 165 line because if he was the dog, I probably would have bet it, man. Um, I feel like he's got the higher ceiling of the two, and the one thing I like is that he's already tasted that defeat. He's already, you know, been embarrassed on TV before, and Zahabi hasn't. And, you know, Hamos, he's this young kid. I see him getting in work with Cody Garbranch and Elkins and the guys at Team Alpha Male. And, I, and another thing I like, he's he's from Brazil, but he's already had experience fighting in the States. This ain't like all of his fights are in Brazil. He's fought in the States plenty of times. And uh, I feel like, you know, he had the tougher debut fight. I mean, this guy was in there with Tanaka, who a guy who beat Joe Soto, you know what I'm saying? And he... uh he had some hairy moments. He came out there, dropped him in that first round, and those next two rounds were a straight grind, and he didn't break, and he got that decision not. And he barely got touched. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he showed me he has the style to win a decision. And, you know, I like Sahabi as well. I saw his debut. Tough guy. Um, he's got that, that different type of style where he likes to, you know, Balls to the wall. keep his uh, keep his – keep his left hand down like that boxing stance, but he comes forward like a motherfucker and he likes to get in your face and he likes to uh, get ugly with it, and which is a good style to win decisions as well. But uh, sometimes when you fight like that, you get countered, and I feel like Hamos is that type of guy. You know, I saw Zahabi get taken down two or three times against uh, Vieira or whatever his name is, and I'm not saying that I don't think Hakamos is going to take him down, but I feel like that longer body frame, that longer body frame when they get tied up with those uh, shorter, shorter, stockier type guys, not, not saying that any stocky or anything but the the long body frames end up muscling them down every single time i see so like a jeremy kennedy for example or uh you know it's more, i could think of more but kennedy's the first guy when i uh think about so i'm gonna take hamos uh qatar you know what i'm saying i when i i'm gonna take hamos here by uh 30 27 on two cards 29 28 in a good fight but i think hamos will get the job done and Zahabi will take that first loss Look, it's a great matchup between two prospects. I was going to say undefeated prospects, but like you mentioned already, Shaq, Ricardo Ramos, Ramos has already taken his first L. I'm very happy about that because like, we're always you know, hesitant to bet undefeated fighters because we know that first L is around the corner, which it is for Zahabi in this case. But Ramos already took his. It was very embarrassing on national television. But hey, since that point, he rebounded. Now he's in the UFC. Now people... What people want to talk about is his gas tank. Here's what I want to talk about. Let's talk about the fact that he made his UFC debut against a guy way more experienced than him. He comes out here, drops him in the first round, and exerts everything he had to try to finish him, and then he gassed out. Okay, so we find out a lot about a fighter when he's gassed out. Is he going to quit? Is he going to look for the door? He arguably went out there and won the next two rounds, man. You know what I'm saying? I was like, okay, and he barely took any damage either. Those are the kind of qualities that I like, and he's just a kid, so that means he's going to get better every single fight. 
the ceiling is very high for Ricardo Ramos. Look out. I mean, the way he takes your back, the way, you know, He's got nasty jujitsu, and obviously on the feet, he's no slouch too, as you saw him dropping Tanaka. With Eamon Zahabi, like you said, he's got that boxing stance, but he kind of he goes forward the whole time. He kind of thinks he's TJ Dillashaw a little bit. He's going to get caught by something, either this fight or next fight, because he's very open, and he's not athletic enough to have that bull rushing style. You know, it'll work against, you know, a post-Usada, Hedginaldo Vieira, but I, I'm not convinced that's going to work here against Ricardo Ramos. I'm going to take uh, Ramos for the victory, man. I don't know if it's going to be a decision. I think he's going to drop him and tap him out. That, that, that's what I think. So I'm going to go with Ricardo Ramos. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, we got Curtis Razor Blades. He's minus 400, Shaq. The comeback on Alexi Olenek, the boa constrictor, is plus 325. Now, I believe, don't quote me on this, but I believe Alexi has 42 wins by submission. Is he going to make it 43 here, Shaq? Submission, knockout, whatever it is, man. You know, Curtis Blades' last fight against Omelunchuk was... Man, I don't even know what to say. It was very lackluster. Even though he got the job done, he... Barely. You know, it was a, actually a, a fairly close fight. You know, Omelanchik's just... I don't know if he couldn't take his meldonium or... I don't know what it was. But Omelanchik, we know the deal. You know, I, I cashed on Omelanchik against Alexi. It's actually funny just because Alexi was coming off that uh, rejected knee surgery. And I just felt like it was a good spot. And um, But Blades, man, he... You know, I don't want to put too much stock into the Omelanchik fight because he's a young kid. Maybe he just showed up flat. Um, but I could still see he has the potential. You know what I'm saying? He still has all the potential, the speed, the power, the wrestling. Uh, he has all the potential, even though he couldn't even take Omelanchik down. Um, I still think he has the potential, so I didn't want to take but plus 325 next to Alexi Olenek's name I mean the disrespect I mean the guy's so comfortable in the cage he's comfortable when he's hurt we've seen him hurt Travis Brown touched him up early and that's how all his fights go he gets touched up early and then I remember I bet this guy plus 335 against Jared Roshaw back in the day and uh you know it looked like Roshaw was hurting him and then I don't know where big left foot out cold and you know I think the same thing's gonna happen here I think Blades has a bright future but I think he can lose this fight and still have a bright future. I feel like Blades is going to be touching him up early. But at some point, like we said with uh, Pedro and Rob Font last week, you know what I'm saying? Some dudes are just comfortable in chaos. And Alexi creates chaos. And once he creates that chaos, his opponents tend to break. So I'm going to go with Alexi. Yeah, I mean, that's a very good analysis. I mean, you remember when Alexi got Mirko Krokop in that schoolyard headlock <laughs> back in the day? Scarfold. <laughs> so, uh... Look, I think this is one of those situations where, you know, Curtis Blades, yeah, he's the more athletic guy. He's the more explosive guy. He probably has a higher ceiling just because Alexi is kind of getting up there in age. But listen, Curtis Blades is super green. He's still got a long way to go. He's still developing as a prospect. And uh, look, this ain't Adam Milstead anymore. You can just pick him up 30 times and throw him down like, like Cody yeah, East. This ain't Cody East who has bigger problems than stepping inside the <laughs> octagon. You know what I mean? This is a dude that's comfortable in the chaos, like Shaq said. And I think he's going to drag Curtis Blades into that chaos with him. Look, if we didn't already, if my card wasn't already filled up, I'd consider taking the shot here at plus, 320, uh, plus 325, but I already have enough on the line. And especially now that Randy Brown's plus 100, you know, we might make talks to add more on it. But I think there's a situation where Alexi can use that veteran experience, go out there, drag this into deep waters, even pull guard. You know, I know that sounds crazy against a fucking D2 wrestler or whatever. Ezekiel choke. Pull guard? Let the dude full mount you and then choke him out from there. I know that's not conventional, but the motherfucker has 42 submissions under his belt. Why can't he come out here and get another one? And yeah, I know... Curtis Blades beat Omelanchuk and Omelanchuk beat Olenek. But, you know, why don't you guys ever talk about how 
Daniel Omolanchuk became the first man in UFC history to fight with a Meldonium exemption that fight. You know what I'm saying? Of course, of course, Danny O won that fight. And like you said, Alexi was coming off the rejected cadaver. You know, it was wrong place, wrong time. They meet again. I guarantee you that the, it'll be a different <laughs> result. But that's not who we're fighting here. We're fighting Curtis Blades. I think he's too green. I'm going to say Alexi by submission. Now, the final fight of the prelims. We got Jan Kutaleba. He's minus 550. The comeback on Mikal Alexichuk is plus 425. Now, uh, it's interesting because we, we watched the tape on Mikal Alexichuk. And look, he's one of these guys that, okay, it's he's like two different guys in there. The first minute of the fight, the dude looks like absolute shit. You might drop him a couple times. You're like, man, how the fuck did this guy get called to the UFC? But after that first minute... He locks in, and then he becomes a very dangerous guy, and he hits people with those hands, and they go down, man. So it's one of those situations where I could totally see Jan Kutaleba coming out here and actually putting him out early. I could see him like a 22-second knockout like he did to Luis Henrique or uh, Frankenstein de Silva, that guy. That being said, if McCall somehow weathers the storm, he will break Jan Kutaleba. There's no guarantee he weathers the storm. You know, In fact, I think he won't weather the storm. But if he does weather that storm, shit will get very hairy because Mikal is that kind of guy to get dropped twice in the first round and come back and knock you out. He's one of those. So it's about Jan being like, look, man, I've had four fights in the UFC. I'm experienced in there. I can drop someone and still go the distance. So he's got to know that, look, we can't go balls to the wall at first and not get him out of there and then expect to just cruise. That's not going to happen. If you go balls to the wall, you have to put him out in the first. And you know what, Shaq? I think he will put him out in the first year. And I think that McCall will come back. And I actually think next fight, because, you know, he's going to get embarrassed here. Next fight, he's going to be a dog. Next next fight, I think we play him most likely. Yeah, man. Kudalaba, he's no slouch. I actually liked his fight with Antigolov because I felt like it was that spot where he had nothing to lose. Antigolov's the, the number one prospect at 205, and he had nothing to lose. He could go at him, charge him, whatever. And even in his fight with Cannoneer, I know that he, you know, he gassed out, but Cannoneer's no slouch, bro. I mean, and I, it wasn't like he quit. There's like one thing, like I said with uh, Lando Venata, you know, I said, yeah, his cardio is an issue, but he won't quit. You know what I'm saying? Jan Kudalaba ain't going to quit. He ain't going to take a knee. He ain't going to. His nose ain't going to break, and he ain't just going to, you know, be out of there. He's going to fight no matter what. And, um, you know, this kid, uh, Michelle, or this Polish guy, you know, same thing. Like you said, he likes to get tagged early, and I think Jan should come out here and put it out. But I wouldn't put it past that if it did, that Michelle's going to break him. This is a whole different level of fighting now. This ain't this ain't the polls you've been fighting in KSW or wherever you've been fighting. You know what I'm saying? Jan Kudalaba, he's been in there with Cannonier. He's been in there with Misha Serkinov. He's been in there with Frankenstein de Silva. He's seen a different a different level of fighting. And uh, even if this fight hits the second and third round, I ain't convinced that uh Michelle's going to break him. So I'm going to go with uh, Kudalaba. I'm going to say second round TKO. Well, Shaq, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, Shaq, what is the fight to watch for UFC 217? The fight to watch is the fight that, you know, you handicappers are disrespecting. It's it's Mickey Gall versus Randy Brown. Um, In my opinion, I see a one-sided bludgeoning. I see... I see I see an easy contest on the feet. I see a wipeout on the feet. I don't see him. I don't see him taking us down at all. Um, I think that's the fight to watch. Let's see. Let's see what Mickey's really got. Let's see what he's really got. Cause now this is his first real real fight. I understand Sage is his first real pro debut, but this is his first real fight, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing man break. Oh, it's gonna be unbelievable. And I mean, now you know the line changed as we're recording this podcast. You know, when we broke down the fight about an hour ago, it was minus one ten. Now it's plus one hundred. Randy Brown. The disrespect is just on a completely different level. So that's definitely one of the fights to watch. I will be tuning in. For me, the fight to watch is Joseph Duffy versus James Vick. Look, 
Tell me one time that there's been a boring James Vick fight. Tell me one time that there's been a boring Joe Duffy fight. It just doesn't happen like that. These guys come to fight every single time. Now, real quick, I know there's been some boring Joe Duffy fights in Cage Warriors, but we won't talk about that right now. Let's talk about in the UFC. Every single time, it's been fireworks, and this is going to be no exception. These two are going to come out here. They're going to stand and bang until one guy falls or until one guy eats a flying knee and dives in for a, for a takedown and gets choked out. So it's going to be very intriguing. That is my fight to watch. Now, Shaq. Who is your fighter to watch for UFC 217? My fighter to watch is going to be Jorge Masvidal. I mean, this guy seems like he's been so close to breaking through that door, and he's had opportunity after opportunity, and he just seems like, you know, the Cerrone fight, he took care of that opportunity, but the Maya fight, you know, Maya's just a way better grappler than him. You know what I'm saying? So this is his chance to, you know, skip, skip his teammate, his best friend Colby's talk. This is his chance to... You know, creep past RDA and Robbie, that winner, you know, because Dana did say the winner of that fight's getting a title shot, and, you know, Colby's convinced he's getting it. So this is George's chance to skip both of those fights and, you know, put himself in that title shot with Willie, man. And I feel like Willie's a good fight for him. Um, this is his chance, man. This is bigger than the Cerrone fight. This is bigger than the Maya fight. You got the opportunity to go in here and break Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Yeah, and if Jorge is able to do that, we might be looking at a new number one contender in the UFC welterweight division. For me, the fighter to watch is Cody Garbrandt. I mean, look, this is only his first UFC title defense, but if he can go out here and defeat TJ Dillashaw, I mean, we're looking at a guy with wins over Dominic Cruz, Tomas Almeida, TJ Dillashaw. We could be looking at the very next dominant UFC champion in Cody Garbrandt, and if he beats TJ Dillashaw, the line is going to get very smaller for the people that have a chance to beat this guy currently, in current form. Obviously, everyone eventually has to lose, but... The way he's looking right now, he's looking unstoppable. Cody Garbrandt is your fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Saturday, UFC 217. Man, we put our balls on the line for this one. I cannot wait, especially for uh, for Touch and Go. He's about to take care of Biz. And, uh, you know, they can follow you at MMA Genius 5 Any message for them before we go? Oh, man, um, you know, just tune in, 8 o'clock, opening, opening up those prelims. Randy Brown, Mickey Gall, live on the FS1. And uh, be ready to watch the one-sided ass with him. I'm very excited about that. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com for the plays. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Make sure you hook up those five-star reviews on iTunes trying to hit that top 15. So until the next time, let's cash these bets.